you know, there was one house that we were looking at and, um, we met with them and, and we went to Costco afterwards to get some, some groceries and we were walking down the aisle and Anna says, you know, he broke his arm. He's in a wheelchair. You know, they don't, we didn't see any food in the kitchen. Let's just get him like a Costco chicken and a salad. And so, and then we got some cookies too. And so we, we basically, we bought them dinner. We drove by on our way back home and dropped it off. And, you know, it was like, I don't know, 12 bucks, 14 bucks. I mean, the amount of money was trivial, but just kind of looking at their situation and it was an opportunity to care for someone who was in, you know, whether we bought the house or not, yeah. these people needed some love and they yeah. needed community. And, um, and so we did. And, and it was funny because later on they came back and, and they accepted our offer. Um, and the girlfriend commented that, you know, he's normally a very financially cautious person, but our offer was 8,000 less than the best offer they had. No kidding. But they were comfortable with us because they felt like they could trust us and that, you know, we were just, we were good people and we care. So, so it goes back to that relationship, you know, put the relationship first. It's, you know, in the end, the payback will be there. It may or may not be on that particular house, but, but, you know, again, our, our goal is we want to take care of people. We want to help people. Sometimes that'll involve buying a house. Often it won't. Welcome to Ria radio episode 57 with and an Eric. You're listening to Rio Radio, the nationally trusted name in real estate investing. We dig deep to discover investors' why in real estate. If you want to skip all the BS and get in investors' heads, you're in the right spot. Be one of the thousands to check out RioRadio.com. Good morning, real listeners. We're back at you here on Wednesday morning with Denless Bertrand and Owen Dasher to my right hand. I, I, I what the hell was that? I, I, I just had that, that that mentality of good morning, good morning Vietnam. You remember that? Yes, I do. Good morning, Vietnam. Probably three fourths of our audience have no idea what you're talking about. Wow, I love the energy though. That was loud. That was like me. Yeah, you just blew my eardrums out. Oh, you're one to talk. That you just peaked it. Like, look at the peak chart there. You just peaked it, buddy. I feel like you needed more. You need to bring it up. You need to go a level higher than me. All right. Okay. What do you got? What do you got? High five! Enthusiastic intro, love it. That's what we do, man. Yeah, bring we, it. we bring it. We bring it live. Uh huh. Dennis brings these out on Wednesday mornings, so you know we're gonna make sure we wake people up as because you know people are waiting. They're probably at the gym at four thirty in the morning, and they want this podcast right then, and they need something that was just energetic to just get them going. What time did this most recent Tyler Goldsberry episode air? Because I think it was gym time. It was he, very he, close. He downloaded that the night before and then had it pre-recorded. Like Denless, oh my god! Like, that was like that was like fifty-seven episodes in, and Denless was on money on that. point. Yeah, listen, listen. I do that on like once every three weeks. No, I don't. I no. Frick you. I don't. <laughs> I don't do it when there's a when there's a real. Did he just say frick you? Yeah, I said frick you. <laughs> I don't do it when there's a a a real meetup. <laughs> For sure, it does not come out the Wednesday morning because I'm never ever prepared. And well, if you didn't, if if you didn't, uh, what's the word I want to use? Um, 
Yeah, right. Sleep. If you didn't procrastinate so badly, no, I... and, 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 and the fact that we record these two weeks ahead of time, that you could have it pre-recorded, you know, you, you, pre-edited. You, you shots, know what? Shots fired. You know what? I would give one of these weeks. I would give one of you guys to edit, and let me hear you after it. Exactly my Crick, point. Crickets. <laughs> exactly. Crickets chirping. Exactly. Thank you. Right. So. <laughs> Give me, cut me some slack. I am going to get the YouTube up. Just getting that out of the way now because you're going to give me shit now. So I'm going to get the YouTube up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dell is uh, coming in hot. Listen, he, listen, he, he's listen. He's really feeling it. He's feeling no, the no, no, no. I, I, I watched Five Mile and I learned from Eminem that if it is you mess up yourself, no pretty, one. Pretty, oh, sure, yeah. pretty sure it's Eight Mile. Yeah, that one, right, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of messing up. <laughs> Radio edit. No, no. You get one margarita in the guy and he starts calling Eminem Five Mile. Five Mile. Yeah. Uh-huh. Denless five mile per trend. <laughs> that's that's his new handle. I feel like that's your new Instagram handle at five mile per trend DV video. Because <laughs> right. he, he can't make it eight. Yeah. All right. Okay. Okay. We we'll go. We we'll go with that. Stepped into that one pretty heavily. Oh, okay. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, where, um, where, where were we? Chris, oh, so uh, tell me about people you've met with in the last week. Any any fun individuals? Oh man, check this out. So uh, Tuesday this week. Brandon Tauber, my bro in crime in uh, Red Ladder, so my business partner Brandon and I, we headed to Des Moines, Iowa, the metropolis, uh, about two-hour drive from Omaha. You were the featured speaker, right? I was on a panel, so I was one-fourth of the featured speakers. Oh, so not Uh, really that important. No, not really. Uh, It was a fractional (laughs) importance, 25%. Um, We went... One one goal out of this, which we accomplished, which was meeting with two of our bigger liquid lending customers in Des Moines, which is uh, uh, Colin and Chris Coy and uh, Junior Ibarra and David Ferris. Dave, lovingly known as Dave. Dave their, their names are Colin and Chris? Yes. Cool. Yeah. Continue. So we, we had lunch. Yeah, this was actually pretty funny because we had lunch. We all had lunch together. And uh, it was Colin and Chris and Colin and Chris, and then and then Dave and me and Brandon. So um, no, it was great though. So we went kind of like helped solidify that relationship. They've been a good customer of ours, referred us business from other people. We've probably done I don't know twelve or fourteen loans for the the Coy brothers. They're going to be on the podcast also, which is cool. Coming up uh, in no November. Help Co- me. So a couple months. Yeah, a couple months. Uh, great. They're, uh, brothers. They've flipped a ton of houses. They've done, I, geez, like over 40 this, like they're going to be in the forties by the time this year's over a lot of, uh, burr, uh, activity happening with them. They flipped a couple, but just good dudes. And then, uh, junior is really, uh, interesting. And we're going to probably get him on the podcast as well. He's got a team of, I think, and don't quote me on this guys, but you probably will 15, um, people on his agent team. So he is a team lead like you are, Ted, with uh, with your team. But he has a Dave as his partner and Dave comes in as basically the investor. So they kind of do a unique presentation to home sellers in that like we can list your home or Dave can make you a cash offer. And they actually partner on that. So Dave's not licensed and Junior's te- Junior is and his team is. So he's one of the bigger KW uh, teams and in, in actually the big biggest one in Des Moines. Interesting. Yeah. Good dude. Like I met him funny, hilarious, like good, you know, very charismatic. Like it was, it was a great meeting. Then we went to the meetup that night and, uh, it was a new meetup that was put on by a guy named 
Darson Grantham, who is a realtor and an investor in Lincoln, or excuse me, in Des Moines. I actually, he was the very first person I ever talked to in Des Moines that was in investing. I found him on Bigger Pockets. So he was a stud. I mean, he hooked me up with somebody who could pull comps for us and uh, referred me to several people, including our first customer, who then referred us to other business. Uh, I mean, he was just great, great for our business. He put on the meetup. There were probably like, I would say 50 or 60 people there. It was the very first one he did, and it was packed. I mean, this was a small, you know, kind of room, and he had, you know, it was it was it was awesome. So I was on a panel of investors that have been involved in uh, real estate investing since the financial crisis or since before then. So a lot of old dudes on that panel, uh, but it was fun, man. So you it fit, was you fit right in. I did, yeah. I was probably young, I was probably the young guy. Youngest of the old dudes. No, I was I was probably almost I was second oldest. Okay, uh, but there were some ballers, man. Like there were some really really good dudes on there, um, and the the crowd was you know lively and and uh, they asked great questions and we had yeah it was it was awesome. We how, had some great Q and A. How would you compare it to our local meetups as far as attendance and and activity? Uh, I would say it's. It's comparable based on population. So I would say if that that meetup took place in Omaha, it would be at exactly the same size as we have wow. here. Yeah. And so really well attended and just great. I, it was awesome. And Des Moines is very similar to Omaha, right? So like we have fairly similar price points, you know, kind of same type of uh, city layout in that, you know, your downtown midtown and, and suburbs are kind of like priced similarly. Uh, it was really interesting. Like I, I would love to explore a crossover meetup with them to, and I don't know where that takes place, but maybe we do like, you know, a panel with Des Moines and Omaha, uh, investors and, you know, have it in a, you know, undisclosed location. Would that be cool? I don't know. So from when this is airing here in about a week or two, I got, um, October 6th, we have an event. Yeah, that's going to be cool. Tell, talk about that. What? So, so we have an event. It's going to actually be a huge panel. I'm using a lot of people that I use in my personal business. Mm-hmm. And we're calling it uh, your dream, you know, finding your dream team. Mm-hmm. So you need to have your own team of subcontractors and just people in your corner. So we, ha- I literally have 10 people, a 10 person panel. Uh, happening. So I have, uh, you know, uh, ASAP plumbing. I got orange property management. I got frog renovations. I, I got, uh, I got pillar and post inspections. I mean, so on, so on, so on. So I have a huge panel of people that are going to be on there. Uh, each person is going to have a couple minutes to talk about what they do in their business and what they're doing in investing and how they can benefit investors. But then the, the whole process of this is literally going to be a Q&A session with, with the crowd. And, you know, I'm like, here's, here's the people I use, but if you want to use them, you can use them too. So, you know, and we've had such a massive influx in and people, we're over 400 members, our local meet, RIA meetup here now. And we have so many new members. So Owen did an investment 101 last month. That was part one of the series. This is part two of the series of uh, creating your of your team. Mm-hmm. And you know, if I'm not saying that this is your your end all team, but this is a team of people that you can use to get your business going, and then you start replacing them, replace those people as you need it. But I, I'm putting it out there right there in front of you. Do you think now you're a ten person panel? That's a big panel. Do you, so Huge. so going with the whole Q and A format as opposed to long form, which is more of like presentation style or somebody gives, you know, five minutes on their deal. Um, do you, th- I mean, well, I guess we'll see what, like, is that, too I mean, mi- is that too many? Is it good? Uh, well, I, well, since I'm, nobody's giving a presentation, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I and I, I preempted every every speaker on this. It's literally gonna be Q and A. There's gonna be there probably be somebody that doesn't talk in it. To mm-hmm. Just be hundred percent honest, but it's gonna be on the popularity and the questions that people have for that specific uh, position, right? No, I think it's great. There's a wide range. Uh, basically, when you think of your real estate investing business, it's almost everybody you need on your team. Mm-hmm. So that's, and I love that you put that together. You obviously but, put a lot of thought into the people that are on the panel. So I, it'll be, it'll be good. I'll be honest with you. There was, there were, I had five other people on, on my list of, that I wanted to ask. And I was like my lawyer, you know, and so in an appraiser and so on. And it just was going to get way out of control. Yeah. And, and they wouldn't have got the value out of it. So I did pick like 10 people that I thought would have the most value. And, 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 as far as like the people you need immediately, there's other people you need. Obviously, you need a massive team to get things going. But these are just your initial contacts, and and most of them are RIA members, and they offer RIA discounts too. So I, you know, we can provide. It's like here's a person, and guess what? They provide they provide you a discount for user services. Love it. So tell me uh, something in the news that you've uh, found that's interesting this week. So in the news. The average long-term U.S. mortgage rates, 6.02, the highest since 2008. And by the time this airs, I think we have another uh, yes. rate coming. Well, the rate hike will happen for the Fed, but it may not trickle into the actual mortgage rates until indeterminate amount of time after that. But uh, snapshot in time, 2.86% one year ago. That is nuts, man. I, this hasn't done this since I've been... Uh, well, I was going to say alive, but I don't know. Maybe it happened in the 80s <laughs> since I guess I was alive then, but I wasn't paying attention. But that's that's crazy. So this is a substantial spike. We've talked about this in several other news segments, but, uh, you know, here it continues. And the Fed, uh, as things sit right now, when this airs, the Fed will probably have announced that they are raising interest rates another three quarters of a percent, if not one percent, which that's... Uh, that's a stiff hike and they have still had problems stemming inflation. So I would see this continuing until it doesn't. And then we're, <laughs> we're in a, we're in a recession, uh, probably a severe one here before this, you know, by the time this all takes hold. So hopefully this is temporary. Hopefully that rates go back down to, you know, more, I guess, quote unquote, normal levels from what we're used to. Uh, but who knows? We talked about this a couple months ago. I, I was listening to several podcasts uh, and uh, they mentioned how, you know, a a healthy market should have interest rates that are in the 7% range. It should mimic uh, ideal inflation rates. And so, you know, honestly, if, if this all turns around and, thing, and the government and everything's actually flowing right, my understanding is that a good rate is in the six, seven, eight percent range. Well the U the the Fed likes inflation to click along at a two point uh, the GDP to be at two point five to three percent. And I haven't looked at this recently, but that's kind of where they like to be for the gross domestic product of the US as a you know as a country. But uh yeah I think um it's gonna be it'll be interesting. Uh but I think you brought this up before when they raise rates to a point where um, the economy is not keeping pace with the interest rates, then you are forcing an you're you're forcing a recession. Basically, that's what the Fed is is out to do. Yeah. Well, how about when we get to today's golden, golden nugget with Eric and Anna special edition? <laughs> this is actually really cool. They happen to bring something that trumped my golden nugget that I was going to introduce into this. So we thought, what better choice than to have our guests? actually talk about the golden nugget that they brought with them. Yeah. So can you give us a little bit of insight of what you have here and what the value it brings? Sure. Um, 
And we do still want to hear your golden nugget, Owen. So <laughs> don't forget about that. Um, the golden nugget we would offer is we took a great suggestion from a, a RIA meeting member, um, uh, Square One Property Solutions. We were at a RIA meeting and um, they stood up and showed this wonderful book that they'd created. And so we love that idea. And essentially what the book is, is a recap of their rehab. So it shows before and after photos and tells a little bit of the story about the transition of the home um, when they bought it into, you know, the eventual um, product that they were able to put back on the market and sell. And so the book has great pictures, before and after pictures, talks about some numbers, um, some of the rehab costs and holding costs and things like that. And the way we use it is we take it to um, some of the partners that we've worked with to create, you know, the project. So um, our banker and the realtor and anyone else we worked with just as a way to um, give them credit and, you know, just call them out and say thank you. And um, it's really helped us with getting future funding, especially, for example, from the bank. What value has that brought to you as far as with with the banks? Like, uh, they like were they surprised? And what was the reaction? They got? So they were pretty delighted. Um, Eric and I went uh, after the first project was done and met with the banker. And they essentially, um, because we, we came into this business um, working together, but not having any other income. We left our other work. We were doing this full time. And so we did have any income. And they wanted, before they loaned money to us, to see that we could do a project. So they said, we'll give you funding for this project, this house on Seward. And um, and then if you do well, we'll give you future funding. And so when that was all done, we took it back to them <laughs> and, uh, and, and showed them some of the progress that we'd made. And then they said, that's great. Okay, we know you can do this now. We will now give you um, more funding for future projects. I was there when they... Uh show those books and they talked about how they use those for lenders and they had a huge stack of them. Yes. And, uh, I told my wife about, it. I'm like, Hey, you need to help me put this together because one thing that she does uh, pretty cool is uh, every year for Christmas, she jumps on the Walgreens website and puts together these types of books for the family members as Christmas gifts, you know? That's so, awesome. Hey, this is our year recap pretty much. And then especially with all the photos with that particular person. So, um, if you, uh, if you, want to do one of these. I know there's lots of sources use it. I, Walgreens will do it and they have a website and you can put it all together and it's, I think it's under 20 bucks. What sources have you used to build this? We've used Mix Book, um, which I think this one was published by and Costco Photo. Um, any any place that does photo development essentially is starting to offer these photo books now. They're really reasonable, ten it, to fifteen dollars. I I just want to mention this because it is this is really cool. I I was blown away when I had this in my hands here, and they actually and I'll hold this up here for the uh, the viewers in uh, twenty fifty when we actually get on YouTube. Um, <laughs> here is uh, basically they have a uh, after photo of the exterior, and they actually included a. A shot of a note that the previous owner sent to you with how impressed they were with the house, which that is an amazing touch. So I just think this is really cool. It's a hardback book. I mean, this this is like a coffee table, really cool kick butt um, project that you that you did. This was your second deal, right? Mm -hmm, right. So I mean, I want to see you keep doing these and fill <laughs> yes. a library with them because yeah. this is a just a really neat, um, really neat 
thing to commemorate a project in a new business for you guys. I just, I love it. I think it's a great idea. It says right on the binder here, Anna buys houses, 4513 Seward Street, Omaha, Nebraska, the address of the property that uh, that they flipped. Now, really cool. I would love to see this if I was a lender or a potential partner on something. Will you make multiple copies of this book or just one? We made 15 copies. Okay. Nice. And then who got those copies? So... Um, I'm assuming you gave one to the to the buyer of the property. So the buyer of the property, well, actually, the realtor. (laughs) Were they like, what the hell? (laughs) They looked in there and they're like, they saw what the bathroom looked like before, or the basement looked like a dungeon. I'll I'll have to make sure I do one for the house. They had that had the the four foot high pile feces in the in the toilet. Like, I don't think they want to see that. (laughs) Did you see the big bat in there? We put a oh, there's a bat, huge kind of blow up of a bat. Oh wow! Eric was up in the attic, you know, looking at wires and things and. And it just <laughs> stared at him. It's hilarious. And it was safely removed. It was safely removed. No one was. He <laughs> he pokes his head up through the attic hole, and the final boss music comes on. Like he's got a. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, anyway, that thing is a monster. But the the story of this house was um, a realtor Yikes. who we work with often um, came to us with this property, and this woman from out of state had inherited this home, and so she wasn't able to rehab it or didn't really need to keep it. And so um, the, our realtor friend, Connie Betts, who we love, brought it to us and said, would you guys like this as a project? Um, and so we said yes. So anyway, that's how it came about. So the, so Connie got a copy of the book um, and the banker. And I, I'm trying to think of some of the other the folks there. The contractors that worked on it. Yeah, the different yeah. contractors. Oh, so you give it to them also. I, yeah. I love that. Well, and, that gives them a way to show off their work as well. Yeah. That's a great Get idea. Andy, Andy, put your name out there and it stays in their good graces. Uh, so one lesson that we learned in this first book, we included the financials mm-hmm. project, and we might not do that as again. As we got it back, we realized there were several people that we probably didn't want to share the financials with, not not to hide them, but just not to put it in their face because it's page one. Yeah, and so that's something that we change for future versions is to not have the numbers. And you know we can we can add a sheet in the back or something if if it's someone we want to share that. Yeah, sharing with other investors, you know, yeah. who might appreciate knowing the numbers is one thing, but you know, it's it's just it's just a lot of information that may not be that needed for mostly people getting the book. Hey, you do first edition and then a second run, <laughs> and, and, and then and you give them ma- out to different people. And this makes you a published author, right? That's there. right. That is awesome. I, I love it, and that is today's. Golden Golden Nugget brought to you by Anna and Eric. I love it. So here's a quick one. Um, Anybody that is in the remodeling business. So stop me if this sounds familiar. Actually, don't stop me. I'm just going to keep on talking. Nobody's going to stop you. Thank you. Uh, So have you ever remodeled a bathroom that was built in the time where for whatever reason, it was a good idea to put a window and a shower uh, I don't know when that ended, but at I've, some point, people came to their senses and were like, yeah, we should probably not do I've, that. I blocked a lot of those off. Yeah. Or put a little, little vent window. So I want to talk about this. So there's a, I have kind of a quick fix for a, a situation where you have a leaky window, a shower window. And then I want to talk about other quick possible solutions to that in general. So here's, uh, here's a quick tip that I just kind of discovered last week, and I've never done this before, but let's say you have uh, an occupied rental where the window in the shower is leaking. And a lot of times what happens is the caulking or the grout on the tile that's there cracks, erodes, like it just gets old and water then finds its way down into the wall cavity. So the drywall starts going bad and so, and so forth. A quick fix for this until you can get it actually repaired or replaced is to get a shower rod, shove it over into the backside of the shower where the window is, and cut a shower curtain to fit 
around that window so that no more water can get in that. Is that, what do you think of that? Like, I just, I never heard of this before. I think that's a pretty, pretty slick idea. I've actually seen that uh, on properties before. Have you really? Yeah. Yeah, I never have. I, I never heard of it. I think that's genius if you're doing just basically like a quick fix and wait till somebody can get out here and repair it so that no more water gets on it. So, Ted, real quick. So, on the uh, other types of fixes you can do on shower windows, one is glass block. That's a common one for me. It's a common one. So, a lot of times what you don't have, what contractors lovingly call fart fans in bathrooms, you don't have an exhaust fan that vents out the uh, steam from the shower. And the common solution for that, if you're not going to put in a fan, is to put in glass block and then put a little window that will... Wait, the window of a little slider vent. It's a, it's a little... Yeah, it's basically like you can either tilt it, like you pull it, and it's like a vent that vents out the uh, steam, right? So you can do that, or you can just delete the whole thing in total, right? So block it in. Uh, put brick on the outside of the house or side over it or whatever. And the, the problem is the reason why people don't delete these a lot of times is because on the outside of the house, if you take out the window, there's going to be a huge hole in the siding or the brick or whatever, whatever the siding is. So not a small expense. The quick fix, put a shower curtain over it, cut it to fit. That's today's golden, golden nugget. nugget. Well, without any further ado, we have a great podcast with Anna and Eric here. And I think you guys can get a lot of good content. They, they've they written a book. They have they have an interesting story. They've traveled the whole entire United States in some sense. They're just great people, too. And, and, yeah, it's genuine, nice. Uh, you guys are going to love this. They're good, they're good peeps. It's, it's definitely a feel-good uh, episode. So definitely uh, stay tuned and enjoy Anna and Eric. Warm fuzzies for everyone. Guys, welcome to the podcast. We're so happy to have you here. Uh, I hope this was everything that you expected walking into this um, <laughs> this awesome studio that we have here. It is amazing. It is. I mean, it you're just is. blown away, right? We are. We actually are. <laughs> the amenities. That's and what makes I think it pop. The, the technology per square inch beats anybody. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is a very true statement. And since we have both you guys here, we actually have not invested in the technology to have a fifth mic. So we are privileged to say that Demless is not on the mic this wow. week. <laughs> Yeah, so this is like uh, when realtors have those keywords where you know a house is like janky, where they're like quaint, and it's like, you know, 400 square feet or whatever, because it's so tiny. We have a quaint studio. I, yeah. I wonder how many square foot this actual apartment is. Ted's actually sitting on my lap right now. It's just, you can't tell because the camera work. It amazes yeah, me that close. this was a bedroom. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, and, and the lady that lived in this unit, um, she was here when I bought the property, uh, and uh, I think she was here for like somewhere between 15 and 20 years. So she she was really sad to leave this spot. We we were actually able to come when you did the open house and you were oh, walking right, it yeah. that very first time you looked at it. When, yeah, that, that's right. You guys were one of the people bidding on it. Yeah, I totally yeah. forgot oh. about that. Yeah. Huh. You put an offer in on I it. I don't think we did. We, we were scared off by the siding, but I didn't know you could just throw plastic siding over it and call it good. So well, so the siding on this was uh, like faux brick. Well, we thought it was this beautiful brick home and oh, it was going to last for 300 years and we were so excited. And then we were walking out the back porch and I said, wait a minute, this is asphalt yeah. roofing. You like put tile. your finger through it. <laughs> You're yeah. like, okay. So, and they had wood siding underneath that. Wow. So I, we tore off we tore off all the asphalt. We just went over the wood siding, put the vinyl up. Had a massive hailstorm, and so now we're redoing it all again. Well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful property. All in the same year. It looks yeah. great. I, I've been loving the hailstorm. Have you guys had a lot of hail damage on your properties? We had. Um, oh. We have a property over in York. and York, Nebraska? Yeah. And we um, the roof was completely destroyed. Um, a bunch Some of siding trim. was damaged. It, it's, it's like wood shingles from the 1800s. <laughs> a bunch of those were totally destroyed. 
paint was destroyed, window frames were destroyed. So yeah, good times. Yeah, gotta love living in the Midwest, man. <laughs> but you guys are not from the Midwest originally, right? You're from nice segue, California. Mm-hmm. Is that right? So um, I was born and raised in Montana, okay. and Eric in Southern California. Okay, I knew I had one right. Yep, and you did, you did. <laughs> and we uh, we met after college. Um, I went to college in Southern California, and we okay. met down there and worked in L.A. and um, then moved to Bozeman, Montana. So, to how, my I folks. Mean, how many years have you guys been dating and married? We just celebrated 31 years oh, of, wow. marriage, of, of marriage. And yep. so, Congrats. how many years have you guys yep. been together? Uh, 35. So, we okay. dated for four years. Yeah. Wow, just yep. a few years. Yeah, just a few years. It feels like like she wanted to be sure. <laughs> 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 anyway, it's been it's been good. Yeah, God has been so gracious to us. And tell me, how did the voyage come from California to Omaha? So I was working for a big company. Which and, was? Can you uh, name it? Semantic. Well, it is Semantic. Uh, they do – well, they do. They did a lot of things. Um, the main thing is they do uh, corporate and corporate antivirus and intrusion protection stuff. Okay. They also own – Kind of like a McAfee. Norton. Yeah, kind of like McAfee. Uh, a little Without, less, less crazy. Yeah, I watched that on Netflix <clears throat> recently. But, <laughs> but um, Norton, antivirus is part of them. Okay. And then LifeLock, which had uh, – I, I don't think he's as crazy as McAfee, but, you know, a, a pretty bold. He's the guy that put his social security number on buses and dared the hackers to steal his identity. Really? I didn't yeah. know that. Which, interesting. You know, they they did, but LifeLock protected him. So, wow. Anyway, that is pretty ballsy. Legit. It is. Jeez. Well, he, he believed in his product. I guess. And, huh? and, he, and, it, and LifeLock is a great product, but that's a different topic. So anyway, they were doing some restructuring and I was part of a, a big uh, reduction in force. So I was kind of looking around wondering what to do with my life. And I was looking for similar jobs at other companies. And I kept looking at jobs thinking, well, I could do this, but do I want to do this? Now, what did you do there at Symantec? I was a marketing VP. Okay. All right. So, and you were there for how long? Just a couple of years. Had you been in the tech space? Yeah, in, I was in marketing for I, a while. I worked for a long time for a software company in uh, Bozeman, Montana. Okay, where we lived for twenty years, and I was I was doing marketing there as well. Now, did you move to Southern California for the job? Is yes. that what? So they and, and also my parents were there, so it was a chance to be closer to them towards okay. the end of the life. Now, if you're if you live in Los Angeles, do you still say I'm from Southern California, or do you actually say I'm from LA? And why do pe- why do people that live in L.A. say Los Angeles. They refuse to say L.A. I don't know why. I heard you say L.A. though. So well, I sprung this on Megan Ahern the other I night. Was she's say, from, just heard this question from, out of you. She's from, uh, she, I was. Oh yeah, I lived in Southern California. I'm like, why don't people from Southern California ever mention the city they're from? That's well, weird. Then she add- goes. She goes. What have you heard of Corona? Corona, California. Uh-huh. And we're like, no. She says, that's why. <laughs> there are a lot of towns in L.A. Yeah, yeah but um, we were actually from San Diego. So, so yeah, this so job you, was in San Diego. And what, what we found is, if oh, you, that's the yeah. wheels. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just want to clarify, <laughs> San Diego. But, but people recognize, like San Diego. If, if, if you live in San Diego, people are, oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. If you say I'm from LA, people are like, oh. Uh-huh. And so then you say Southern California. And one of the things we learned um, with with so one weird. of Anna's businesses is we were in Bozeman, Montana, for a long time. And when we were at conferences, if you say Bozeman, Montana, like a third of people either know someone that lives there or their kids went to school there or they vacationed there. It was amazing how many people had a connection to Bozeman. Huh. But if you just say Montana, they're like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But if you say Bozeman, <laughs> people connect immediately. And so different, different towns. So you kind of learn after you talk to people for a while, like what they react to. 
Yeah. So what was it like culture shock wise moving from Bozeman, Montana to uh, San Diego? Well, I grew up in outside of LA. Oh, you did. Okay. So you, you were there, went to college in, in Montana. Is that right? No, I went to school at USC. So I was in Southern California. Anna's in Montana. Yeah. Anna Montana. Anna from Montana. <laughs> oh, my God. Believe me, I've I'm sure, yeah, I was, yeah. I was going to say, I'm sure you've never Anna heard that off the first time. Anna from Montana. Yeah, lots of, lots of good rhymes going on with that name. But, yeah, so, 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 yeah, so. So I was actually really fortunate because the number two job we looked at was in Cody, Wyoming, which was a population smaller than our current apartment complex in L.A. <laughs> so wow. We didn't take that, and we ended up. Yeah, so I thought Bozeman, Bozeman was pretty yeah. spacious. Yeah, it was. It was a nice college town. It's a beautiful ski area. You know, it was really a great place to be. And so, my and my family was in Billings, and so that's what took us up to Montana from L.A. But then, after you know about what twenty years up there, this opportunity came up for Eric, and we'd kind of talked about San Diego, you know, before, and thought, oh, maybe sometime, some year. But then we started thinking, well, why not now? You know, we were fifty. And we thought, you know, if we're going to move again, you know, let's do it now. And so we just took the leap and the job, you know, was there and great. And we got to be close to Eric's parents and his siblings. Two of the three siblings live in San Diego and just have that family time with nieces and nephews and family for four years. And so then the layoff happened and the restructuring and we decided, you know, what do we want our life to look like for the next 10 to 20 years? And that's when we decided we really want to work together. And we want to do something we enjoy and we want to kind of be our own boss and be, you know, have more flexibility. And so we started thinking about real estate. Did that layoff, did, did your, you know, when you got handed your papers, did that come like completely from left field or was, was it a gut punch where you're like, oh my God. And that was kind of a wake up call. I'm just want to dig into that a little bit more because yeah. that's a, an extremely stressful event. Well, when you get I, laid off from an employer. I had always worked for smaller companies where layoffs were rare or non-existent. Mm. And so, um, but I was on the management team. So we'd been talking about, you know, how are we going to cut costs? How are we going to manage things? So um, I knew layoffs were a possibility, but we were the fastest growing and the most profitable segment of all of the semantic businesses. So it seemed unlikely that our team would be part of the layoff. Marketing's almost always the first one cut. Well, and it was one of those things where upper management said everybody lose 10%. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you're, you know, idiots wasting money or if you're the most profitable segment, everybody, because that's the easy thing as a manager is to just treat everyone the same. So um, it wasn't really a gut punch. It was, it was a surprise. I was definitely not expecting it, but it was, um, yeah, you know, it, it happens. And I, 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 I had, I'd laid people off in the past. And so I didn't want to be the guy that is really unpleasant to lay off. <laughs> so, you know, at the point when they tell you, you know, there's, there's no change in anyone's mind. Yeah. And so I just kind of looked at it and said, okay, what do I go from here? What are the terms? How do we make the best of this situation? Mm-hmm. Now, when, when you got the news, did you, at first, what was your knee-jerk reaction? Were you like, oh, my God, I have to update my resume and, <laughs> like, I'm going to look for another job? Or had you been marinating on real estate investing a bit? And how did you even find out about it or, like, get interested in the first place? So we hadn't been thinking about – I mean, I thought about real estate investing most of my life. Mm-hmm. But we, I hadn't been thinking about it at all. So, no, it was it was not even on my horizon at all. The, the funny thing is we had actually planned um, a trip to Israel – and the layoff technically didn't occur until like a week and a half later while we were in Israel. So they did me because they needed to do me before we left town. 
And then a week and a half later, they did everyone else. Did you happen to see Sean French on the uh, beaches of Tel Aviv while you were over there, homeless? No, did he ask it. you for a sandwich or anything? No. We okay. talked to him about being over there. And get with him more. I don't know. We haven't. We haven't. Talked to him recently. Well, the link came in the show notes. Ep- you heard his story. Episode, uh, what, 52, <laughs> something like that? Uh, yeah. He, he, anyway. Uh, yeah. So so we were we were looking at jobs. We actually – we decided to work together. And so then we started thinking, well, okay, what are we going to do? So we started looking at some different businesses. Um, we started looking at different franchises. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually were pretty intrigued with the idea of opening a music school in La Jolla, California. Mm-hmm. That seemed kind of fun, and it looked huh, like the numbers would work. Um, and then – Kind of in that process, we came across Homevestors, and we started looking at that. We actually talked to a half Couple, dozen yeah. people that were Homevestors, and learned a lot about the program. And, and in a lot of ways, it was it's a good program. Um, but given my marketing background, I kind of felt like the biggest thing they were offering was marketing support, and I wasn't sure that was worth the money for me. Though for a lot of people, it would be a great deal. Was that your first introduction to real estate? So like, when when I was ten. My dad introduced me to a good friend who um, owned hundreds of homes. I don't know how many hundreds was, but it was a lot of homes. And um, and he always talked very fondly of this friend who, you know, he would buy homes at a discount. He would buy them from banks and what a great thing he was doing. And so from like the age of 10, I kind of had it in my mind that this was a good idea. In college, I went to, I have no idea who the the guru was, but some guru show where they like try and get you to give them $30,000 in exchange for their secret sauce of how to buy and sell houses. Yeah. And, and I actually got some good tips out of that. And, um, when we bought our first house, we lived, you know, living in LA, it's kind of hard to buy houses. Um, cause back in the eighties, you know, a shack is like 500,000. Mm-hmm. And so we, um, when we left LA and went to Bozeman, um, we got money from, you know, vacation and sick leave and stuff like that. So we were able to put together enough money to buy our first house. So you and bought the town. You're just like, here's a, <laughs> wow, everything's cheap here. here so, just take my money. So Bozeman today, the median home price is higher than San Diego. It's like $769,000. Right median. So when we, and when we were there, there were say only six or seven homes in our price range. So we were under 200, yeah. which yeah. at the time was a lot of money. Yeah. And we were in our, what, late twenties. So, you know, we didn't have much money and, uh, anyway, continue. So, so <laughs> but it was a house hack. Yeah. I mean, they, they hadn't invented the word yet, but so the, the basement was rented to four, um, college, college girls yeah. and, and then we had the upstairs and it worked great. They paid the majority of our mortgage which was good because we didn't have a ton of money after we bought the house. And so we stayed there for eight years or yeah, yeah no way. Well, and the fun thing was with, that with was co- a, with college kids. staying. Downstairs. So we rented the whole time we were there, which was kind of challenging. Um, but that, but we actually got that property through a friend of mine in Portland who knew someone that lived in Bozeman and he was selling his house. So this house wasn't even on the market and it was set up as a really nice duplex, you know, the, yeah. the base. And it was seven blocks from campus. And Eric was working at the university, and so it was a perfect little fit for us. I just want to put in a plug there because um, there's this idea of talk to people. There's even a podcast on talk to people. And Anna is amazing at talking to people, and she just she just shares. It's called – yeah. what's that called? I, I think I've Email. heard that guy. It's, it's, <laughs> it's TTP. called TTP. Oh, TTP, yeah. yeah. Yeah, talk to people. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's, all, it's his thing. And it's very it's – very But he's a real estate guy, yeah, right? He's yeah, he's really wise. TTP. I, I know I've heard yeah. that before. It's a good yeah. podcast. It, it's yeah. a great podcast. So Anna had shared with her friends in Portland, Oregon, that we were looking for a house in Bozeman. So the husband was up on a bike trail 
and, you know, stopped to get a drink and started talking to a guy on the bike trail and share asked, where are you from? He said, Bozeman. He's like, oh, I'm trying to sell a house in Bozeman. Oh, I have two friends that are moving to Bozeman and are looking for a house. Well, there you go. And that's how, that's the house we bought. Yep. So if you don't share the universe can't provide. It kind of reminds yeah. me of that conversation we, we had with Nate Dennis a few weeks ago about how he just meets everybody at the bar and he gets all his deals done. Yeah. It's kind of what you guys just said <laughs> right there. So maybe his theory's he, he, right. Yeah. You just never know where they're going to come from. You can just like Johnny Appleseed, like I talk about. Well, we always talk about, you know, just in general, the networking is where deals happens, where you meet your business partners mm-hmm. and, and it's all about getting out, right? Mm-hmm. And yes. having conversations and not being recluse. Well, and I would just add too that that really changed our perspective on just real estate in general. And it gave us the experience of being landlords and having tenants and, you know, owning property and all that comes with that. But, and we can probably get into it later, but we were able to essentially do a 1031 exchange with that property that then allowed us to get a fiveplex in Bozeman. Before we get to that real quick, I have a question. You you, you mentioned having tenants in the basement. <laughs> I, I was not going to let that go either. I, 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 but but then you also mentioned that you you were a professor. So no, I I ran the the, the network systems department. At okay, IT. so you're like going around school and you're like, hey, you know, I got a place to stay at my place, and, and Anna's like, okay, are these people legitimate, and then and then I mean, how's that all work? Thankfully, there were four really nice girls to start with. And when one of them would leave, they would have another friend that would just, they're like, oh, our other friend's moving in. So we really didn't even have to market the place because of its location. And they were a good little group. And then eventually it turned into a couple and some guys. And so we rented to men and women and, you know, married couples and, you know, just whoever, you know, wanted a place. And you guys shared the a kitchen and you guys made the oh, breakfast no. and everything like no, that? No. So oh. it was all set up. I think, <laughs> thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, no. I mean, they, and the hard part is, you know, some of the girls were really like, oh, there's a big scary spider in the basement. You come and kill it, Eric. And I'm like, really? <laughs> You've got to kill your own spiders, girls, and grow up a little bit. But, um, you know, some of the renters were great. Others were, were not. And we didn't allow pets or boyfriends, you know, to stay over, um, but we had some of each. But yeah, we had some of each. Like but girlfriends were allowed, but not the boyfriends. So at that point, yeah, it was, it was just girls. it was just all girls, and they weren't girlfriends. But uh, anyway, so so one so they had definitely Anna rules and otherwise yeah, yeah. right exactly <laughs> got to have some standards. But anyway, this one young woman basically her boyfriend started living there, and then they got a dog, and they would they would put this dog through this basement screen window to go in and out. Right. So the screens were destroyed. And when we realized that they had a dog down there, we're like, this house is not set up for a dog. And it was a big black lab. Yeah. And so basically, then they started putting the dog in the car and kept the poor dog in the car. It All ate day. the car seats. And we're like, do we call animal? Re-? You know, I mean, we've got it. This is not human, humane. So anyway, so we, we let her go or asked her to leave in 30 days. And then we got a letter from her attorney father. Saying oh, you didn't give my daughter her, you know, two hundred dollars security deposit back, and we're going to sue you for that or whatever. And our attorney said, just give give the money back, and just it's is not worth with it. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so we really, you know, you you want to be security deposits went up after that, right? Security deposits went up after that. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, it's it was a good learning experience. All of that kind of prepped you for what's going on now. So tell us about this five unit that you got. Well, why don't you share a little bit about kind of that transition? So um, we decided that um, we wanted to try to just leverage some of the equity in that property and to get out of managing it ourselves. And we wanted to try to 
you know, buy a few more doors, so, so to speak. Um, and so thankfully, we were able to do this 1031 exchange. We found a new build. And for people who don't know what 1031 is, can you give us a brief rundown of what that is? Uh, essentially, it allows you to sell a property and put the money into a new property without paying ta- capital gains on whatever gain you had on the property. And in that case, it was pretty substantial. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so so that worked out beautifully. And so, so you guys stayed in the five unit also. So we so no at that okay. point we decided we're not living there. We're hiring a property manager, and we really need to get ourselves out of this process um, because it wasn't something we enjoyed a lot and. Um, and there was a lot of driving back and forth. And I think one thing we learned from the the duplex near campus was, you know, people have busy lives. And I think one thing I found frustrating is I would set up an appointment to show the apartment and the college kids, they, they wouldn't show up. So I would have driven in. I would be sitting there for 30 minutes to give them time. And then, you know, they wouldn't show. And I would call and they're like, oh, so sorry. You know, found another place or whatever. And so it was a time thing at that point because we were both working and, you know, trying to do this on our own. Now, did you, you, you mentioned eight years, you actually lived in the upper level for eight years while we you were did. renting out the bottom and then you, you kept it after. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes. Okay. We so you moved afterwards. away. We moved to another little home, you know, in a nearby neighborhood and okay. lived and worked there and then just kept and continue it. to rent it. Yeah. yeah. And then th- yeah. you rented out the top level. I mean, that's kind of yes. like, I mean, that's, that's yeah, kind so of we, the, we the stepping stones, right? Down duplex. Yeah. 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 It was a great, we would highly recommend that strategy. To young investors, if, if they can get a duplex or something like that. I or, just said I'm an investor recently, like, and you want to know how to get invested. I said, and he's like, I got X amount of money, and I want to buy a rental property. And I'm, he's like, I'm, I'm renting right now. And I'm like, and I explained the whole house hack. I'm like, buy a property, live in it, and have your have your buddies uh, uh, pay the rent for you. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, I'm not making money then. I'm like, you're not paying 800 bucks rent. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I really, really wish somebody would have – described this whole process to me when I was Ugh. in my early twenties. I mean, can you imagine? I, I had a great house opportunity to buy when I was like 21 through a family friend and it was a beautiful home. And if I, I'd never even thought about that, the, I mean, I could have bought it at the time I was making enough money, but I'd never thought about that putting roommates in there because it mm-hmm. just wasn't explaining. I'm like, I can't, I think I spent all my money on this place. Yeah. I can't have my fancy cars in. <laughs> yeah. You do love your cars. <laughs> Well, so, I think that's awesome about the RIA is that yeah. you hear, you know, the young people that are there are hearing all these, you know, yes. older investors who are, you know, giving great advice. And I mean, when you get, when you get Grandpa Owen up there and giving advice, people listen and learn. <laughs> if I knew now. <laughs> no. Uh, no, that, or if I, yeah, if I knew then. See, I can't even put it all together. Um, Senility, so, yeah. Anna, what, what, uh, what line of work were you in? So, we've talked about Eric. He was, he worked for Symantec. What were, what were you into? So, um, in, in Bozeman, I worked for the university doing um, grant writing for the foundation. No kidding. So um, I did that for a number of years. And then in San Diego, um, I I wasn't working outside the home. Got it. So, yeah. All right. So why and how did you end up in Omaha, Nebraska? Well, this is a great story. And you're a part of that, remember? Well, I, I do remember. I, I Do you know yeah. about this? Oh, I can only guess. It's so I, I, I'm assuming some of you do the bigger pockets. So, yeah. So I'll let, I'll let Eric tell yeah, the Yeah. Let's, let's hear story. it. How'd you end up here? So, so, fun. so we, we decided that we wanted to do home investing. And we decided to do it ourselves instead of using home investors. And so the first question was, well, where? Okay. Wait, wait. Back up. So yes. you, earlier you said that you mentioned that you did marketing and that, you, and you made me lead to believe that you didn't use home investors because you're doing it yourself, but you did actually go through home investors. We we considered them, but we never joined. Okay, and and it was because we felt like 
the you main could, benefit you could would do be it. marketing and we could do that ourselves. Okay. okay. And so um, we decided we're going to go it on our own. And then the question was where? And we were at that point, I had started going to some local meetups in San Diego and there were deals in, in San Diego that would work. Um, so we could have done it in San Diego, but the problem is they were expensive. So, you know, you put 500,000 into a house and you walk out with 2 million. That's a good deal, but if you've got 500,000 or can and, get it, it. and it's high risk because, yeah. you know, you can only mess up once and you're done. And so we, about regulations that they have down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a little scary. So we, d- we wanted to find a market that was, you know, solid and growing, had inventory, but was a little more affordable. So basically I built a, a spreadsheet with info I downloaded and I looked at basically starting at the top with New York, going down through all the cities in the country, looking at, you know, solid income growth, solid property appreciation, solid population growth and, you know, uh, an inventory of properties. And Omaha was the basically surfaced as the highest score in my analysis. What were your other two? Like what was um, your top three in general? So we looked at, um, it was, was Tennessee. It, was it Knoxville? So something North Carolina. I was thinking like North Raleigh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Yep. Was I, one of yeah. them. That one comes up a lot when I talk to out of state investors, yeah. but especially California investors. Cause every time I talk to a California investor, like, I don't know what it is, but they're like, I had a college do a study for me. And uh, Omaha, Raleigh, and uh, oh, what's the third one? It always kind comes of. up. Uh, but Charlotte. Th- oh, yeah. Na- Nashville. Charlotte. Was, Na- oh, Nashville was one of our good. finalists. Yeah, I don't remember the third one, but anyway, but those two, it's always Ra- Raleigh comes up a lot. Yeah, and so we 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 were like, okay, let's dig into this. So we went on to Bigger Pockets, and I did a search for Omaha, and Josh Miller had just posted his story about how he had bought 150 units in 18 months in Omaha. And so I thought, well, we should talk to him. That's part of a few of those. So Were we <laughs> so we reached out to him and and I, I assumed that he was in Omaha. And so we're like, hey, we're thinking about being in Omaha. So we, we actually planned a driving trip and we hit um, a bunch of cities that we were thinking about. Because we're also in. looking at like Denver and Billings, Montana, you know, some other and places. Wichita, we have a bunch relatives. of places. Yeah. And so we're like, hey, can we meet you there? And, and he's like, well, I don't actually live there. I live in Seal Beach, was right up the road from where we lived. But he, I'm going to be in Omaha next week, he says. So, which was the same time we were going to be there. So <laughs> that's so, that's so weird. So, so we meet him. He's like, "This is like my third time in Omaha." And <laughs> we're like, "Who are you?" But he did an amazing job. And so we um, he drove we us around him. to properties that he had purchased, and we went in and yeah, toured us around the whole very town. Nice. It was great. Yeah. And then and then we asked, you know, who else should we get to know? And he's like, "Well, you've got to meet Owen." And so we're like. <laughs> Okay, so we call Owen and we're like, hey, can we meet? And he's like, well, I'm free in about 20 minutes for lunch. We're like, that works. So, <laughs> or no, it was, wasn't it in the, it was in a hotel. Yeah, we met in a hotel lobby. lobby. Yeah. You know? We just yeah. had a drink and uh, I don't even remember where it was downtown somewhere. Cause so you're like, yeah. yeah. You kind of like gave me the quick and quick and dirty version of your story and just said, we're, we're driving into town considering Omaha. And I'm like, I'll meet you there. Here's, here's well, and, where we're at. And we knew no one in Omaha. Yeah. You know, I mean, no one. So, so you're our first friend. Yeah. <laughs> Did you anyway, know this? No. So Owen was very, very kind and gracious and just, you know, told us everything we needed to know in mm-hmm. an hour, you know, to kind of and talk, yeah, it was, get, I, get going. I, I, kept, I kept it concise, Ted, <laughs> to an hour. See, it is possible. He's referring to the Rhea meetup that Owen did, and uh, we went on almost three hours. Oh, that's <laughs> it was good, not. <laughs> but it was uh, all good content. Yeah, and we. It was great content. We. Yeah. Uh, two and a half hours. I'm yeah. sorry. Two and a half hours. <laughs> so we met at the in the hotel lobby and talked about just Omaha and investing in general. And 
you guys were so nice and genuine. And I mean, you seem like Midwesterners, honestly. I mean, no, no offense to, you know, native Californians, but they're kind of weird. <laughs> we there's there's nice. a wide diversity there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Montana side rubbed off. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that was, it was very encouraging. I mean, it was very encouraging so much so that we're like, okay. And you told us about the meetups, I think mm-hmm. that were, you know, happening. And we thought we could, how, how long ago was this? This was in late was 2019. Yeah. Yeah. I was oh, going to okay. say three, three, four years. Because we yeah. moved here March of 2020, the first month of COVID well, was when we actually got here. The Omaha meetup wasn't even going yet, was it? Call yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it going. Maybe just started? Mm, I'm not sure. Uh, but it is right around that time frame. Okay. Yeah. And I wasn't running the RIA then. Oh, really? No. I didn't, yeah. run, I didn't take over the RIA until – Because our first RIA meetings were with your predecessor. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. going. And I, I remember meeting you guys there. Yeah. But uh, I don't think I – uh, I didn't take over the RIA until uh, June of 2020. Okay. Yep. So. Yeah. One thing that strikes me or struck me about you when we got together is you asked some really good questions and you really paid attention to what I was saying. And in, in, in my head, I'm like, I'm just rattling off, you know, random stuff. I have no idea what's going to stick or not or what you guys are even interested in. But you applied a lot of not I'm not. Taking, I'm taking. Okay, let me let me back up here. He didn't suggest this book. I did not. No, I I take zero credit for any of the accomplishments you've had, which we're going to get into here shortly, listeners. But like, that was pretty impressive to meet with somebody that's never done the business before, that is so diligent and prepared and studious, and you took notes, if I remember correctly, and then it was just I was like, okay, well, that was. It makes me feel a lot better when I meet with somebody who isn't experienced and they are genuinely interested as opposed to just like, oh, yeah, let's get together for lunch. And, you know, they pay half attention. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, if I don't write it down, <laughs> there's a good chance I'm not going to remember it. <laughs> yeah. But I also think, you know, it it was serious. I mean, it is serious. It's It's a serious business because mm-hmm. there's a lot at stake. And, you know, we were older and we didn't have other jobs to fall back on. So we had to take it seriously. Yeah. And and I love, you know, that Eric, he was always getting us into books and, you know, programs to listen to. And, you know, and we were talking about it a lot, you know, so much so that we're like, okay, after 8 p.m., you know, no more talk about this. But, you know, it's so fun and interesting and you're learning so much too. What, it's just fantastic. What, what was the most impactful for you as far as uh, the books that you're reading and mm. the, and what you're listening to? So I love the Gary Keller book. Um, what is it? Millionaire, millionaire real estate, estate investor. Millionaire real estate investor. Yeah, that yeah. was probably that, my first pivotal. Yeah, book and we I we read really that liked. pretty early on because mm-hmm. that really laid out. I mean, it lays out the whole business. Mm-hmm. It's like I mean, if you read that book and actually pay attention to it, it it gives you the foundation for everything you need to know. And yeah. it's so encouraging too. It's like you can do this, you know, but you've got to be, you know, paying attention and following a plan, and you know, and being cautious, but yet being bold. Like 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 Gary Keller's books are um, like instruction manuals. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Millionaire real estate investor is in my top ten of all time favorite investing books. It's just so well done, so well researched. Um, There's just amazing content in it. So yeah, I I would echo that all day. Um, Let's talk about your first move into Omaha and what was your first deal that you actually got into. Well, we call it the learning house and, uh, <laughs> and we, we, 
we'd done a lot of, you know, researching and reading and we just thought, you know, we, we have to get going. We need to try to step out and buy something. So we'd been here about six months and we, we yeah. set up the brand. We're both foundation people. So we built the brand and we'd went to the RIAs and we'd done all kinds of stuff to get the business set up, but we hadn't yet actually bought anything. So, um, so <laughs> thankfully, um, we'd been to a John Martinez training. Uh, oh, the year man. before, what right? Is John, what is John oh, Martinez? man. That, that guy he's, is a stud. He's fantastic. That's, it, it, he it, has it, never come up in any of our podcasts. I've, he, never, I've never heard of him. He would be a great Rhea speaker. Is he local? No. He's in St. Louis or somewhere, isn't yeah, he's, he? He's or, not far away. No. John Martinez? John Martinez. Yeah. And he's so, all about selling. And, and Josh, when we were talking about it, Josh yep. Miller said, you know, the first go thing you got to do is go to this training. And it basically teaches you how to buy real estate. And it, it it's sales training. So you learn all the tricks. <laughs> Does he sell <laughs> you on stuff after that? So, so uh, no. I, no, I, I was just going to say, no. though, like he has a whole – like there's a whole series and he's got a whole education thing on sales. But it's not sales like you think of sales. It's sales – really you're buying right he's his whole mm-hmm. sales process is designed about meeting with motivated sellers and you're selling them on why you are buying their house for the price that you want to buy it for the terms or whatever that i'm so glad you brought that up I because that guy i've listened to a whole bunch of his youtube content and he's been on some uh, other ria podcast or not ria podcast but uh other podcasts that i listen to and he is Really, really, really good well, at sales training, and so he's personable and he's and, client focused. Yeah, and he's not about he's about kind of going for no. Yes, Remember, it's like not pushing yourself on anyone. You know, you don't need to buy this house. You what you want is for them to see you as the solution. Like you, you are you're a consultant the answer to their yeah. prayer of buying this house because you know you are going to be chances are getting it at a discount. It's going to need work, you know, and you need people to you know, kind of just know that you're not pushing your yourself on them in any way. And which has been our perspective too. But so, so we're at this seminar with, you know, John Martinez and we meet this really nice guy from Lincoln, George Shada, who's a wholesaler over in Lincoln. And there was only like three or four Nebraska people there. So we immediately, you know, strike up these conversations and get to know George. So fast forward, we get here and we're in touch with George and he's kind of an informal mentor and he says, well, if you want a house, you know, I've got a deal that might be a good fit for you guys. Um, and so that was our first house. So, man, this is so good. So John Martinez, I cannot believe that I've never brought this up on the episode because I I either consciously or subconsciously have incorporated a lot of his tactics and tips and, and processes and just overall outlooks, you know, the strategy behind it into what I do. Like, yep. and I, I would guarantee you a lot of the stuff that I have is probably from him. Yep. So John Martinez guys, for those of you who've never heard of him, listened to him before Google him. He's on, he's got a YouTube channel, I believe. And a whole There's bunch a of content out content there. On the yeah. Podcast. I just like, added him on this stud, here, so. stud, okay. stud. I mean that, and he has such a, an like unassuming approach. It's not like you're, you know, trying to brainwash somebody and, or badger him into, selling you something that they don't want to do. It's all about the consultative approach, being a problem solver and approachable. And and like you said, getting to know, he basically tells people and gives them way, ways out of the whole process the whole time. I and mean, that's what it's all about. It's like, you probably don't want to do this, but if you did, here's why. Mm-hmm. And then setting the, you know, framing it that way. But, and he has a lot of like brilliant 
little tactics that he uses in there that you, if you really apply those, they can make a huge difference. It's, it reminds me of the time when I was trying to get Owen on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we had, I had this first episode one. I was like, I was like, you know, I probably need a little help with this Owen, but you know, it's probably not right for you, but, <laughs> but you know what? I think you're going to like it, you know, and, and, and maybe just check it out one time. Do kind it one time. Up. You did it. And then he gets on one time and I'm like, you know, what do you think? Maybe you want to do this again? <laughs> Let's give it one more try. One more try. <laughs> and here we are, episode 57 today. Nah. See, I was nah. doing the John Martinez. He didn't uh, you even did, know yeah. Martinez did. Yeah. He, he did. He did. He Martinez me. <laughs> he's, he probably has his, all of his uh, material that he's memorized this whole time. He just slow rolling on us. But, uh, oh, and this whole time, thinks thought it was just like the really slow and, and making things happen in little increments and thought he was just balling it out. But really, I was playing you the whole yeah. time. Just well done. The long con. <laughs> yeah, nice. It's good to play it out. So – so there are a lot of things that he suggests, like, um, you know, why aren't you selling through a realtor? Why aren't you putting it on the market? Why don't you fix it up yourself? There's really and, good questions and, to ask the and client. I think a lot of the people that are buyers, they're just going in. It's like, you know, I'm going to buy your house. This is the best price you're going to get. Sign it right now. Yep. Don't you don't high, pr- high, high pressure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like a used car salesman. And, and our approach has really been more kind of build a relationship, build a connection. And, and understand their situation. And, you know, and there are, there are people that we've met with where we're like, you know, you really shouldn't sell it to us. I mean, mm-hmm. because they shouldn't. Right. I mean, It'd be better a, for a realtor to, to you had, know, I have those, those conversations when I, when I was working with people, I'm like, hey, you know what? You can sell this for this X amount of money, or you could pay us to do those renovations for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and that we used to go over after wholesales a couple of years ago. This isn't something that we're doing right now, but, and we, I go through the whole thing. I'm like, hey, just so you know, you spend twenty five thousand on this, and you can make this money. And I would love to be the, your representation on that. But like, no, I'm kind of embarrassed, or I'm too lazy. Mm-hmm. Well, we had one woman <laughs> mm-hmm. who she refused to go through a realtor, and as we got into the conversation, it turned out she had been a realtor for twenty years and retired. And we're like, so why don't you do this yourself? You know, you can make a lot more money. But she had that thing in her craw where she was. I mean, even mm-hmm. if she made less money. It was she the was convenience not go through factor realtor. too. I think. I mean, that's what people are, you know, wanting our services for. Okay, I, I want to. I want to highlight what you just said because the only way you you would have found that out that she used to be a realtor, which is very good information to have, by the way, if you're out meeting with a motivated mm-hmm. seller, is because you asked the right questions and you spent time putting in the conversation. You didn't jump right to what do you want to sell your house for. Here's what all you're going to get. And you point out everything that's wrong with it. I think that is the entirely opposite way mm-hmm. that you should approach a, a meeting like that. And the fact that you asked the questions and got information out of her, not that you, I mean, obviously the goal is you want to buy it, right? But you also don't want to be slimy and a, you know, douche when you're going out and meeting with a, a seller and being like, here's your only option. And, and if you're explaining, hey, Here's what you, you know, why I love that. I do all, all of these things too, which is probably why you guys have beaten me out on a couple of deals before, because you're just genuinely nice. People like you. And, and because I think you ask questions, period. I mean, it gets back to that whole relationship building thing. And I think that that's whether it's whoever we're working with, you know, it's, it's just about the conversation and trying to really understand where they're coming from and what they need and what they want and. You know, if if we're a good fit or not, and we're the first to say, you know, we may not be a good fit, but um, if we can help you, you know, we want to. 
So, is there something you'd like to share, Dennis? <laughs> he doesn't have a mic, so. so so when you're meeting with these people, right? How do you balance the desire to get the property versus building the relationship and like more focusing on the client? How do you balance your selfishness with your selflessness? Good question. That's a great question. I think the priority is focusing on them and going into it thinking, you know, I don't have to buy this home. Um, I'd like to, you know, if it works out, but really, really um, just doing our best to try to put our our desires second. And because we really do want, I mean, obviously we want to build a business, but we really do want what's best for them. And I think that that's, that's part of, you know, all of our meetings with clients is is asking questions and listening first. Before we say anything, you know, well, just tell us about your situation. You know, what's going on in your life? You know, why are you at this point of wanting to do this? And then just trying to listen, you know, and like, you know, take notes and really just focus on them. And, um, and honestly, Dennis, I think once you, you know, you work through one or two deals, it'll just, it'll be even easier. Because I think in our case, we were so, we like, we've got to get started. We've got to buy something, you know, but that was kind of the blessing of going through a wholesaler is that we kind of got the experience with that before we went to a client who was just, you know, a regular client. So um, it's kind of, you know, honestly, just, you know, praying for your, your, your eagerness to just subside a little bit. And to just think, okay, if this is meant to be, it'll it'll happen. I don't know, Eric. Or do you have anything to add to that? Or? Well, I was just going to say, I, I think a big part of it is you present the information, you present the case, and and I think our approach really isn't we're going to sell you on buying your house. Our approach is here's the data, here's the facts. We're going to be a consultant to guide you through this process. Mm-hmm. In the end, if you say, I want you to be the one that buys my house, that's great. If they decide to do something else, that's okay too. Cause the thing is, you know, we look at a lot of houses we don't buy. And when we go to any house, we don't know if this is the one we're going to buy or not. But, you know, we know there's, there's a funnel, you know, we're going to look at 10 houses and we'll buy one of them. And that's okay. So when we go in, we're like, chances are we won't buy this house. And it's kind of a mindset. And so thing. going in with that mindset, one, it's easier to go for no and, and kind of push them to other things, but it's also easier to take the time to listen to their story and get to know them. Because we look at it as this is this is a new relationship we're building, not this is someone whose house we're going to buy. And can we help them? I think that's a, a fantastic question you asked and one that probably everybody's wondering. And if you're and it's hard because if you're new into this business and you need to make money, like you need mm-hmm. it, right? Unfortunately, people pick up on that subconsciously. So if you're really trying to force it and get it to the closing they or get a desperate action. The, yeah. The, and, and so I, I'm not going to sit here and give advice about like, you know, 20 years ago when I was desperate to get deals or whatever, cause it, you know, memory kind of fades after a time, but I think you actually have to go into it, not caring whether or not you get it and you approach it from, I am going to tell them what their options are and I'm going to let them know you shouldn't take this because you can make more but here's what we could pay if you decided to go that way, but you shouldn't. Mm-hmm. And I do that almost every single time. And I think 
if you and I, it sounds kind of like you guys do the same thing. You're basically like, you should probably list this with a realtor, and mm-hmm. here's why, and here's what you could probably end up with. And then they may say, you know what? I was a realtor for 20 years, and I hate it, or I don't want to mess with them, or I don't want to keep my house clean and have to worry about showings all the time. And, and like they'll tell you the reasons why they don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. You have to highlight what they're already thinking. And if you avoid that, it becomes the elephant in the room that you never talk about and they are not going to do business with you. And then you mm-hmm. never know why you didn't. Get and you never deal. know. And you sit there and second guess it. Yeah. So I think if you shine the light on all, if you take the black light to the hotel room <laughs> <laughs> and and show everything that's wrong here, like with their situation, I think it will probably end up. Here's what happens. There's a dynamic shift because people are generally going to be defensive and a little on guard if a stranger comes into their home, especially if it's one that needs work, because they're probably embarrassed. They don't want to be judged. Yeah, they don't want to be. Exactly. They don't want to be judged. They're probably embarrassed. They, they're apologetic and about the condition of the house. I see this so many times. I'm sure, I know you guys do, too. But if you're like, you know what? That we can't buy every house we look at. And I say this literally almost every single appointment we go on. We can't buy every house we look at. But at the very least, at the end of this meeting, we're hoping that you can walk away from this knowing, understanding what your options are. And our option might not be one. It probably isn't one that you should seriously consider. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of just go through and, and let them know. At the end, you just say, apologetically, you shouldn't take this. Unfortunately, this is the most we can pay. And here's why. And you just explain. like It's all math for us. This is what it's going to take us to, to make our minimum profit. I wish we could do better. And then you let it sit. And I don't like, and I can't remember what John Martinez, I know he's got some tactics around this, but like, if you let that sit, we get so many times where we get calls back and we don't like, you know, like well, you have five o'clock, you know, you have until five o'clock today or tomorrow or whatever. People hate that. I hate mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. I don't like to be hard sold. I'll say no, just because. Yeah. Just because that, okay. If you're going to do that D bag tactic, I'm yeah. saying no right now. I don't care. I'm going to call somebody else and start over. Yeah. Would you guys agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know. I, it's a nuanced approach to selling when you're actually buying. And it's a weird business that we're in. Well, and I, I want to do a shout out for Anna here because, you know, there was one house that we were looking at and um, we met with them and, and we went to Costco afterwards to get some, some groceries and we were walking down the aisle and Anna says, you know, he broke his arm. He's in a wheelchair. You know, they don't, we didn't see any food in the kitchen. Let's just get him like a Costco chicken and a salad. And so, and then we got some cookies too. And so we, we basically, we bought them dinner. We drove by on our way back home and dropped it off. And, you know, it was like, I don't know, 12 bucks, 14 bucks. I mean, the amount of money was trivial, but just kind of looking at their situation and it was an opportunity to care for someone who was in, you know, whether we bought the house or not, these people needed some love and they needed community. And, um, and so we did. And, and it was funny because. Later on, they came back and, and they accepted our offer. Um, and the girlfriend commented that, you know, he's normally a very financially cautious person, but our offer was 8,000 less than the best offer they had. No kidding. But they were comfortable with us because they felt like they could trust us and that, you know, we were just, we were good people and we care. So, so it goes back to that relationship, you know, put the relationship first. It's, you know, in the end, the payback will be there. It may or may not be on that particular house, but but you know, again, we, our our goal is we want to take care of people. We want to help people. Sometimes that'll involve buying a house. Often it won't. 
And I think that goes to our why, you know, why, why are we doing this? Why, why are we, you know, doing anything? And I think, you know, service to others and just being, you know, trying to be light in a world that's kind of chaotic right now and just showing people that you genuinely care. And, you know, our hope was that they wouldn't, you know, see it as any sort of strings attached thing. This is just like, this is just for you. You know, we know you're having a hard time right now. You, it, know. you just felt it in your heart. Oh, totally. And it's, you know, yeah. Is that your business why or is that your personal why? I mean, it's both. Yeah. I mean, it's integrated. Yeah. Like yeah. That. That's kind of the bottom line. Oh, that was deep. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. So you were asking. I feel like I need a Kleenex. I feel like I need a Kleenex. So, so the first house, you said the learner house. So the learner house, yes. So we learned a lot of good things about. Do you guys label each house with a with a nickname? No, only that house has the learner house. That was a painful. That was thing. a Because I, cause I work with my mom, and every house that she works with, she has she a has, she has a name for well, it. Well, it's memorable that way, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah you can track on it. So yeah, yeah. No, but we Usually learned about. We but then she tells people like, "Is that the address?" She's like, "Oh, that's lovely." And I'm like, and "I'm like, oh, my mom, nobody knows what lovely is." <laughs> no, that's actually, cute. we we don't do it every time, but we we do do that because like, but most of ours are around like disasters, right? Like yeah. a river runs through it we have a house like <laughs> yeah. that yeah. the termite house you know yeah. the you know like so many hoarder houses yeah. so. anyway yeah. i have a carson yeah. house and a skyler house i yeah. love that like sweet children <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah i love that that's good but yeah the I mean, learner house yeah tell us about it oh my goodness you go ahead babe so so we paid about forty thousand, which we thought was a great deal and it seemed very reasonable at the time um the the water had been shut off but we didn't know that that was because the lead water line from the street or from the alley actually had burst. And, you know, nine months later, the neighbors told <laughs> us that the basement was flooded up to the top and there was water coming out the windows. Um, I got a great video of a situation like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that video. That. When, when I saw that, I was like, <laughs> I'm so glad we weren't here to see it. At our house. <laughs> that was painful. <laughs> so, so, you know, that was like 5,500 or something to, to replace that. And then, very quickly, you know, I, I leaned on one of the sewer pipes in the basement and it literally crumbled <laughs> oh my gosh. under my weight. And so I started looking around and realized all the pipes in the entire house were rotted. Because if water's turned off for a year, pipes don't live. I think and it was like 1904 this home was built. So, it was an older so home. So we had to replumb the entire house. So basically from the alley valve out to the, the <laughs> sewer exit, completely new plumbing. Um Oh, it boy. looked like it had new wiring, but we very quickly learned that what they did is they spliced. put they put in a poor panel and then they spliced into the knob and tubing as soon as they got through, you know, the, the, they would drill into the wall above and then they would splice it to the knob and tubing. So it was all knob and tube wiring and not well done. So anyway, so we ended up completely rewiring the entire house, new electric panel, um, so those two things alone, that was pretty much what we had in the budget. This is why I buy houses that need everything, Owen, because then there's no surprises. And if something yeah, doesn't just, need replace, it's, it's like, oh, that was the surprise. I don't need to replace it. That's a good plan. Yeah, just going there knowing this, I do everything. This is why I like to buy houses that need nothing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so we're, we're becoming fans of like houses that are less than 10 years old. Yeah. yeah, we can totally see that. Um, and some con- we learned some contractor lessons and just – yeah, we had yeah. a um, any shareable lessons that somebody could uh, well learn from. Think- you know, one you moved into a new town. You bought your first property. You you overlooked some pretty big. Well, you, maybe not overlooked, but you were surprised by they were bigger than we expected. Pretty big yeah. Uh, yeah. gotchas, yeah. right? I think one lesson was 
you know, don't pay a huge deposit to a contractor before they've done a lot of the work. Yes. Did you so, get bailed on? Um, we did. Well, yeah. it was more. It was, I mean, it wasn't so, huge or beyond repair. So but someone had mentioned, hey, this person's looking for work. And we thought, yeah. okay, that's cool. We need and, someone. But we probably didn't do as much due diligence as we should have because right. we, we it, were it wasn't eager. a recommendation, but we sort of took it like that. And um, and I honestly, I think it, it wasn't a con job. I think they were just incompetent. They were she, in over their head. Yeah. yeah. And and so and we didn't we we maybe lost ten thousand on that. It so wasn't, it wasn't yeah. as bad as it could have been. Dang. I mean, we knew people that lost like forty on that same person. So, but I think seeing asking someone, hey, we'd like to come and see other projects you're working on, mm-hmm. you know, and have a little bit diligence. more. Yeah, due diligence would be wise. We would recommend that, you know, going and, forward. And something we adopted. And I don't remember if this was from Roddy or from someone else. It might have been from a RIA meeting, but the idea of each week or every two weeks, if it's someone you trust, lay out what your plans are for them to get done. And then at the end of that period, you do an inspection and see if it's done. And if it's done, you pay them or mm-hmm. whatever is done, you pay them. Mm-hmm. And so they're getting paid every week based on the work they actually did. Mm-hmm. And you're not, you're not putting 50% up front and then hoping that someday it'll actually get done. And it, it was Don Costa, flip talk oh, guy. Yeah. yeah. And so, and, and that's something we're just now starting to implement. And for the most part, people have been very receptive to it. And it gives us a comfort that, you know, we're not going to be, we're not, we're not paying for work that's not done. And, you know, add that to buying your own materials and you've actually got a pretty safe valve for contractors that are new. Um, we, we have some that we, we're now very comfortable with and I'm okay paying them up front because I know they're going to finish it, but they're for new people. Yeah. But if it's someone that we don't know, we're, yeah. we want to be more cautious. Yeah. And it's kind of reminds me of the conversation when Owen was speaking at the RIA, he mentioned, you know, don't be the guy that pays your contract every Friday because then they're, they're going to expect those checks and it's going to kind of ruin your life. And then also don't be the person that gives them a whole bunch of money up front. Uh, the approach I take even with my trusted contractor that I've used is I, uh, I create a four payment system. So I, I do, um, 20 to 25% up front. And then we have tiers, uh, of completion. You know, it could be hanging cabinets in the kitchen. It could be, uh, painting is getting done. It could be, you know, we, we tiers that we agreed upon. And then yes. there's payments that go out when those, when those are completed. Um, so I, you know, people listening, I, that's something I would recommend. Uh, but you know, if it's not something you've ever worked with, do not trust to give them that big upfront check, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, uh, do what Owen suggests, give them or use you buy the materials, put the materials up and that way you're not trusting them to get those materials, at least until you develop a system. And then Owen suggested on, on our meetup to give, if once you have a trusted person you work with, have a company credit card or a, a Lowe's card or a Home Depot card, whatever you use. And then, and then that way they can use your account there. You're getting the write-offs, but then uh, they're not walking away with a whole bunch of money. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, good, good tip. I mean, for, for people that haven't done this before, you have to be over diligent on your first few projects until you get comfortable that you can trust somebody working on your project for you. Like you said, you don't want to give somebody 50% of a, especially a big rehab. Like what if it's a $50,000 rehab and you're like, here's 25 grand. Hope you come back. You know, you want to no, you want to go out there and say, I need a list. Here's my scope of work. You create you, meaning the contractor, you create the materials that you need in order to get started. I will go out and make sure those materials are bought and delivered on the project. So you have nothing to wait for. 
And after these milestones, like Ted mentioned, you, you establish what those are. I'll give you this much money. And at the, at the end of this, I'll give you this much money. So it's basically a symbiotic relationship with your contractor, but you have to establish who the, like what, what your role is in that. And you want to be the one that is not the newbie that they can step all over and be like, Nope, I only do it for 50% of the, you know, you have to give me that up front. It's like, no, I'll buy all the materials. You So you're not coming out of pocket for anything, Joe contractor. And you can pay your guys at the end of the first couple of weeks because I'm going to give you, you know, this, maybe give them a little bit of money on top of the material cost, but not the whole thing. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Good tips. So besides the fact of coming to Omaha and meeting Owen and deciding to move here to Omaha, do you have a different failing forward that we could use? <laughs> maybe maybe, maybe, uh, maybe uh, something to do with this lear- so-called learning house mm-hmm. in the segment that we like to call Failing Forward. So I think in the end, the learning house for us, there were several points where we we kind of wanted to run Wait, away. Wait, so it wasn't it wasn't me and no one to move in Omaha? No, okay. it, wasn't, it wasn't. I just want to make sure that. That was all good. <laughs> what not to do. <laughs> we would actually encourage everyone to call Owen before moving to town. Like, <laughs> and, and they do. Real estate and, <laughs> and going to town. Josh Miller did. I, that's how I met Josh Miller. He really? called me when he was when he was considering coming here. Yeah. That's funny. So. You do a lot for recruiting people to vote. I'm, I'm a recruiter at heart. I, I think Josh Miller is one introduced me to you because uh, I was helping him out. We were their uh, real estate group for the first time when they first came. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, right? yeah. Yeah. Huh. He spoke very highly of you. Yeah. The first group. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't know any better by then. <laughs> yeah, met, oh. met a few more people. I'm just kidding. I love you, buddy. Uh, anyway, yes, sorry. I mean, cut you off. No, no worry. So I think the key was intellectually we'd heard and knew that you had to be careful what you put into a house because you have to sell it and you can only sell it for what the market will take. And what we really didn't fully appreciate is the market cap, the, the, the most you could sell a home for in any condition where this house was, was a hundred thousand. Like, no house had ever sold over a hundred thousand within like eight blocks of this. So house. we're talking about a neighborhood that maybe is uh let's say fairly rental heavy or maybe not in it maybe maybe it's a little higher crime than other areas. Mm-hmm. Is that is that uh, yeah. kind of where we're going yeah, with this? That's yeah, that's fair. Okay. And so what we struggled with is, you know, we would discover problems like the entire house to be need house needs to be replumbed, and yet you've got this ceiling where you can only put so much into the rehab or you lose. And, um, and so the intellectually we got that, but practically, you know, what are you going to do? Not plumb the house. <laughs> right. It's so It's so hard. You and gotta so, do it. And yeah. so we kind of ended up at a point where we're like, w- w- there's no way we can sell the house. We're going to have to rent it. And so we actually started pursuing rented it, but then you kind of have that neighborhood issue where who wants to rent in this neighborhood. Um, the next door neighbors really wanted to rent from us because their house was a disaster and they were paying an obscene <laughs> amount of rent, but we weren't sure that we wanted them and their bulldogs in the house. So, um, you know, we, there's something wrong with bulldogs in houses. Um, just wear and tear. Wear and tear. Yeah. Insurance wise too. Brand I'm sure that plays a, a factor in it too. Yeah. We love dogs, or, but I get, maybe they were pit bulls, not bulldogs, I guess. So. Cause I got a bulldog and I love my bulldog. I think it's people a pit with bull. bulldogs love their bull. Uh, yeah. and, Let, and let's and, just get it right. And, a and a bulldog is a fat, fluffy one that uh, that's yeah. rated as a top three animal. I just kids. I don't like yes. drooling creatures <laughs> of, of any type. drooling creatures. Mine doesn't drool at all. Just so you yeah. know. Okay. Well, they, so that I'm sorry, they had pit bulls, not bulldogs, but they were really, really sweet pit bulls. I mean, they and they had lots of kids, and but anyway, I'm a firm believer. It's how you raise your dog. 
Yes, yeah, we but, are too. But I did, but I just want to clarify because because I, I am a bully. I am owner, so I, I had to talk about this. <laughs> okay, yeah, sorry. <laughs> All right, not a bulldog. So I mean, in the that's in, the fail right there. So so it, it, <laughs> Eric's like, stop it. <laughs> so we we failed in the sense that you know we we couldn't sell the house. We were struggling to rent the house even for enough to cover our mortgage. You know the loans that we had on the house, and so it was it it was a pretty rough place. Um, and you know, so we did a few more things, and we were actually. You know, we were fortunate that that was right when um, the market the market started okay. to go insane, and so we were actually to sell it. We in the end, we actually made nineteen hundred dollars on the house, and we were, we were so thrilled. Um, <laughs> now, we did you end up renting it then, or did you no, you end up you we were, actually, you went we, down that path and said, "Oh man, we actually had it on the rental market and the sale market at the same time." Oh, we were just geez. like, "Someone, please give us some money so we can pay the loan." But the woman we were working with said, "You know." I really, given the work you've done, you need to really, you know, we need to just wait kind of for great renters and, you know, wait for the right fit. And, um, I am so glad you guys brought this up because this is a really common occurrence with especially newer investors over improving a house. And sometimes it's not over improving it. It's you fix problems that have to be fixed, but you weren't counting on them when you were mm-hmm. developing your rehab, uh, budget. Right. So it's not like you, you can just choose not to have working plumbing in a house. I mean, right. you got to fix it. You got to fix and it. And then it's not cheap. And, you know, so like roofs, plumbing, electrical, uh, HVAC, those, those are the big gotchas mm-hmm. foundations or another. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. And so you kind of like got stung by that. And the fact that it was in a, a little bit rougher neighborhood makes it harder to sell as well. So the good news right. about, you know, investing in those hoods is you can buy them cheap yeah. right. a lot of times. Yeah. The bad news is your exit plans, if you can't sell them, are not all that desirable. Mm-hmm. Typically, your short-term rental exit plan is not going to be a very good method in that type of uh, rental neighborhood. Unless you're right by a college or something. Yeah. But then the prices are going to be higher. Exactly. Um, and long-term rentals, sometimes if you've gone down the path of flipping it, it's going to be way over-improved compared to other rentals. And probably if you move somebody in there... You may have a bunch of pit bulls. You may have, you know, them beating up your house and so forth. Tough spot. Mm-hmm. So you ended up making eking out a small <laughs> profit in that, which kudos. And yes, you may have gotten lucky a little bit with the market run up that we had at the time, but you were also thinking of a backup plan, not just sell at all costs, right? And yeah. and so it ended up working out. So there's a moral to the story, which is have more than one exit plan. Mm-hmm. Buy the right house in the right neighborhood, yeah. right? Uh, any other lessons learned out of that that you might want to well, share? Before you answer, let me ask you a quick question. Uh, you you guys had a budget for this. What were you planning to make? Out yeah, of, good, good out, question. Out of this, so so our original budget, we were I think we were planning to make twenty. Twenty or was it? We, maybe that's it was kind 10. of our rule of thumb. Is like if if any if any rehab, you know, we really want to at least make twenty thousand dollars for our time, you know, and. A little bit of profit. So that it's safe to say of that nineteen hundred that you guys profited, you didn't pay yourself at any point in this. That was literally mm-hmm. your pay for your time. And how much time Correct. did you invest in this property? Well, <laughs> I rewired most of the house myself. So Eric, so, yeah, that's another lesson. So it was, is that is that legal? If you own the house. <laughs> <laughs> and we did have the inspector come and, you know, sign off on it. And yeah. another master electrician kind of Good approved, job. you know, the work. But, you know, Eric loves to rewire homes. He's done it before. And we thought, well, we'll save some money. You know, electrical and plumbing are the most expensive parts, right? We probably, well, yeah, we probably if, would have lost had, money. If, if we had had the electrician wire the whole thing, it, would, been, it would have been another 10, 15 yeah, grand. At least. Yeah. So. so another lesson would be um, 
be cautious of your time and what you think you're going to do because you're going to save money. So, and how much time was invested in this? Did uh, we answer that? A lot. Like Maybe a, months, I mean, weeks. Oh, it was a several month project. And I bet Eric probably put in a hundred hours. Would you say, Eric? Yeah, it Maybe. was a lot. And, it was a and, lot. And I think the lesson there was, had I been focused on developing lead sources or something like mm-hmm. that. Building the business. You know, what would have been a $10,000 savings on the electrician, you know, maybe I could have made a hundred thousand using that time better. So for the dollar 90 an hour that you got paid uh, for, for being <laughs> an electrician, I, I, I think you missed it's 19 cents an hour, 19 cents an hour. I, I mean, I'm willing to 10 X that and just for, just for those services, just so you know. You're yeah. So that. Eric Lindine, uh, amateur electrician available for hire. <laughs> and the, the other, one other thing we did, which we really was kind of a, a good lesson to learn is we put in a second bathroom upstairs because this was a three bed one bath and on one hand you look at it and think would i live in this home and one of our philosophies is if we won't live there you know we don't want to rent it and we don't want to sell it we need to make this and not to say that you have to have a second bathroom i'm just saying if you have children you know a second bathroom is really valuable Mm -hmm. so we made that choice to put in a second bathroom upstairs full bath and I think that's why we made the nineteen hundred dollars because you know it eventually sold for I don't know like one thirty or one thirty five or something so you know it was but helpful. How, what was the cost of that bathroom to add? Yeah, it was probably six to eight thousand dollars to add that bathroom, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's, and, it's, and you think like, weighing yeah. it back and forth? Do you I, think? It, do you it, think it, it had a po- positive ROI? Like, yeah, I think it took us from like one hundred five to one thirty five. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A, a second bathroom to me, I always feel like is is if you can do it, it's probably always worth especially it. around the bedrooms. Yeah. Good, good yeah. tip. Yeah, no, that's a good tip. So, guys, what? Now, when you got into this business, you said uh, you were intrigued with real estate for a while. You looked into home investors as a possible, you know, franchise purchase where they can kind of turnkey marketing for you. You go out and meet with motivated sellers. Now, you hit the ground really quickly, at least my perception of that is, because I remember when we met, we talked a lot, I think, about, you know, lead generation. And uh, I'm just remembering our conversation. I know you probably had several of those, but I remember us talking about like getting a website developed and, you know, putting, you know, pay-per-click into play and doing direct mail and all those things. How did you arrive at that method of getting into real estate investing? Why didn't you just start with the MLS? What was it about meeting with motivated sellers directly that was the hook for you? So I think we tried to assess our personalities. And what we realized is that we prefer inbound marketing So we really prefer people calling us because they have a need rather than, I mean, we're both, we we like to talk to people, but, you know, selling was hard for us, which is part of what got us to John Martinez and just trying to hone our skills a little bit. But so we chose to do the Facebook, Google ads where people would see the ad and then they would call us pay-per-click and SEO and SEO. Mm -hmm. And so that's the route we took. So that's how we generated probably half of our deals have been through those types of um, pay-per-click. Well, it's funny that uh, I was just SEO. Uh, I was just talking to Jeff Cohn uh, the other day, and he's he was talking about his uh, best ROI, return on investment, and uh, we're talking about just real estate leads in general. And we we invest about five thousand dollars a month in in Zillow leads right now as a team. And he said he's and I forgot what he said. He said like, well, Zillow leads. I'm I'm getting about a thirty percent return on my money. He goes, but my Google pay, uh, pay per click is it was exceeding sixty uh, percent or something like that. It was it was a substantial increase on pay per click. He said so for the best ROI, Google pay per pay per click and SEO was the best way to go. So that's interesting that you mentioned that. 
Now, if you're a new real estate investor listening to this, you're probably wondering, okay, that all sounds great. I don't know how to put up a website. I don't know how to do marketing. Any tips you can share with somebody that's like really gung-ho about this business and they they like what they're hearing so far and they want to be the person that's sitting in a living room or a kitchen with a seller and figuring out their problems and how they could buy houses. How do you go about getting a website put up? How do you know even what to do with getting started with marketing and, and just getting leads coming in where you can make offers on things? So we we did a bunch of research on, on websites. And as much as I hate to share this, I know I should share. And so um, we went with Carrot. And um, what we found in every city we looked at, at least eight of the top 10 sites were Carrot sites. And so I figured what is a carrot site? Carrot Carrot is a company out of Oregon. Um, it's just carrot.com. And they they do website hosting for agents, for investors, for um wholesalers, for you know just they, real estate focused. But but and they have they have a, a pre made, pre optimized website template that you you can do as little as filling in your company information. Or you can do a ton of customization if, if you prefer. And they have services where they'll, they'll, they will do the customizations for you if you want to put money instead of time into it. Um, but if you want to do it yourself and you've got, if you've got time and not money, that works as well. But they, they, the site is fast. It's well tuned. It's well optimized. And so basically what we found is if we started with carrot, we would already be ahead of 80% of the people. And then using our marketing skills to build from there, we've been able to do pretty well. Great gold nugget right there. I, I, I was I, trying to think of how much did our carrot site cost, Eric, just for new investors. Well, they, they, they run programs on their webinars where you can, it's like six or 800 and you get three months for free. Plus you get a bunch of other stuff. And so it works out to be a pretty good deal. Um, we're, we're doing, it's 150 a month and that includes three, I think three mm-hmm. websites and then some other random stuff. Here's the deal on, uh, on carrot and, you're exactly right. And if you're looking into starting your own website and getting into marketing for, for deals, a good way to research different marketplaces is go to uh, Google and type in, we buy houses, Omaha, Nashville, Manhattan, wherever it is, Southern California. Um, <laughs> and whatever the top websites are, there's going to be three of them that have ads at the top. Click on those ads and you'll be able to tell what the back end of your website or what, what the back end of that website is. And in most cases, it's going to be Carrot. So Carrot has developed – it used to be called Investor Carrot and they basically cater to real estate investors and now agents where they'll put templates together like you mentioned. I would su- highly suggest waiting for a pandemic to happen and then you'll have a lot of time <laughs> to go out and customize the hell out of that thing. <laughs> Which is what, that's what I did. Us. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, 2020 happened and couldn't go on any appointments. So I spent like three months working on our website and uploading stuff and editing it and, you know, changing things. I will say, like Eric mentioned, they, they offer a like built for you website template where you can go in and swap out stuff and, and put in your own city and, and information it's not going to rank you very highly. That's the other thing that people don't understand. I think when you talk about website marketing, you put up a website. If you aren't pointing people to find it, they're not going to find it. So you either have to pay for what they call pay per click, which is 
every time somebody clicks on one of your ads, you owe basically 40 bucks or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's complicated. I won't get way down in the weeds in this, but pay-per-click is a way you can quickly, if you have the right budget, buy your way to the top of certain search phrases like sell my house fast, uh, we buy houses Omaha or what we buy houses in whatever city. And the more of those you can like optimize and get yourself ranking more highly in the better. And the more business you're going to get, the more leads you're going to get SEO on the, on the flip side of this is content that naturally points visitors of, you know, potential websites to yours. Right. So it's like you put out blog posts and, and articles and, and videos and things like that. And the more you do that, the more Google al- algorithms like your stuff and will direct traffic there. Is that how you guys yeah, understand it absolutely. as well? Absolutely. And, and, and I think there's a real key point there, which is they'll give you pre-written articles, but they're going to be the same as every other yes. person in your town and every other town. And your website's going to look the same as every other yes. person. And so getting your own backload backlinks, producing your own content, the, those are the things that are really going to start to, to push you up. But but on the other hand, if you don't go with carrot, you're never even going to be in that top 10. Have you guys oh, heard of, really, really I, I'm going to share something that was, uh, <clears throat> that I had no idea even existed. And I may, I probably have mentioned this on an early episode, but have you guys heard of Haro H A R O? Yeah. Have you used it? Yeah. Okay. So have you, uh, for listeners, H A R O stands for help a reporter out. And basically, it is a feed that you get three times a day. And it's reporters are fishing for sources on stories. So they'll have content on anything you can possibly think of. It could be pharmaceutical use for the elderly. It could be like real estate sales. It could be, you Best know, way just to comb a cat. travel. Yeah, the, seriously, there anything. are so many random things in there. And reporters basically are like, look, I ha- I'm under a deadline. I have to write an article. I need people that are experts in this topic that I'm, gonna, I'm going to explore for whatever publication it is. And it could be Forbes. It could be American Express. It could be like all these reputable you know, magazines or publications, right? And they will – you can sign up for this. It's 100% free. Help a reporter out. Google it. You can sign up for it, and three times a day you're going to get an email, and it'll say, looking for sources on real estate investing, looking for sources on hard money lending, looking for sources on all kinds of stuff, how to pet a cat or whatever you said. Uh, and you can reply to those. They'll give you their email address. You reply to them. And you say, here is my you know pitch. And then you pitch them on your story mm-hmm. and they might publish you in Forbes or wherever. Right. And so it's a, and then out of that, you're going to get a backlink, which you mentioned, Eric, that takes them back to your website. And that and, is where and all of it valuable be, links. You yes. Can get. That's the most valuable stuff you can get because you want high, highly trafficked websites where people are going to click on your stuff and be taken back to your website. Have you been able to get, yeah, I've been, pub- I, I mean, published. It's more of like volume versus quality, I think. But I, I was uh, made it. I was my mission to get published on a bunch of stuff, and Good like for you. I did. I don't know a dozen, probably American Express, Business Advisors, Forbes. Uh, been on, yeah, several articles. But yeah, like it's fantastic. Yeah, it's cool. Do you guys have some luck with that as well? <sighs> Not yet. We, it's a we, job. We, we get the emails. Yeah, that just like logging. You know, basically clicking on the link and figuring out what they want, and then you know taking time to respond. I was about one out of every eight that I replied to. I okay. would get, I would get a, oh, you know, good. published or a, a positive reply to. Well, one thing that they've done that you haven't done is they've actually, you guys are actually published authors. 
Oh, good segue. I like so it. can you can you tell us a little bit about the book you wrote and sure. what the what the basis is behind it? Sure. So um, in the last few years, Eric and I have worked a lot with our own parents and their last you know phase of life in terms of their home and downsizing and senior care. And um, and we found that a lot of our clients are either seniors or adult children, you know, of seniors. And so people are really, you know, just struggling sometimes about what do I do? How do I make this transition? And um, so we were at a conference and got to know this um, nice gentleman, Ben Rao, who's a, a senior care advocate, really, and um, and another real estate investor. And he, you know, he went through a lot with his stepdad, um, because sometimes you're thrust into these situations where it's a crisis. You need to step in and help this older person figure out what they're going to do with their home, their their material possessions, and then how are they going to pay for long-term care. Mm-hmm. And so, um, we, so we got connected, and, and this book is basically just an overview. It's just a guide for um, how to pay for long-term care. And so, you know, one aspect of that might be selling a home, but it might, you know, involve other things like how do you, um, you know, even know about, say, VA benefits or, you know, long-term healthcare policies or what are the other, you know, mechanisms you can use to help fund those monthly expenses that can be huge. And so um, anyway, so we just designed it to be a resource, uh, just kind of scratching the surface, but just to give um, clients and our own family members, you know, some ideas about, you know, things you can start thinking about now. Obviously, the sooner you have those conversations and they're hard conversations, you know, the better. But if you cannot wait till you're in a crisis situation, you know, with an older relative or, you know, whoever it might be, a friend even. Um, I actually had a woman call. She lived on the East Coast and she has a friend in Omaha. And she called and she's like, my friend is in a bind. You know, can, do you know anyone that would help her move you know, into another smaller apartment. Well, I'd met some really nice, um, there, there are businesses that are just strictly focused on seniors. Um, one of them was Tender Transitions. Uh, Sheila Pettigrew is a really lovely woman. And her whole goal is helping seniors make that transition. So she'll go into a home, she'll take a photograph of their curio cabinet, for example, and, you know, identify what's of value to that senior. And then she will move just those key items into the next apartment, set it up exactly like they had it, and try to help that senior, you know, make that transition. So, um, you know, it didn't involve us buying a home or anything, but it's just, you know, a resource and the connections we've made through networking to help, you know, a lot of seniors, you know, make that make that transition. It's funny. I've had that conversation with my, my grandmother. She's uh, 86, and uh, I, I own her home, and I, I assist in certain ways. Uh, and as it does my mother and my, and my father, but, uh, you know, one thing I was talking about, is like, Hey, you know, you should, I have this building right here and we have these two ground level units. And I'm like, this could be a lot easier for you to maintain mm-hmm. as a home. Plus it's all inclusive, you know, less to take care of, you know, maybe you're not re- ready to move in with mom and dad or go, go into a facility. Maybe you want to record a podcast in your spare time. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so I was suggesting that she, she moved in here and it's been a really, you know, even though I think that it would be really beneficial because the drugstore is right next door, the, the yeah. across the street is literally the, the grocery store that she goes to. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this could be really more accommodating for you. Uh, you know, that, that, that. It's been very difficult. And I'm mm-hmm. like, we can take some things from your house, move them in here. Uh, but maybe 
you'll let me buy this book that you brought oh, here you today. Oh, you can have that book. <laughs> so yeah. I'll, I'll, but it's like planting a seed. I'll PayPal you, you on know? this one right yeah. now. No. <laughs> and then and then and then we can read this. And maybe I can get some tips to try to help that transition. So I, it's yeah. awesome. Hey, yeah. this is really cool. And um, I for those of you that are wondering more about how you can we get take a picture this, of it. We'll post yeah. it on our Instagram. Is this stuff. is this uh, available like on Amazon? Can you so, buy it on? So. so Essentially, you can download it free on our website. It's it's oh, really wow. a free resource. Yeah, as a know. PDF, not as a paper. Yeah, as a PDF. But I have extra copies too. I'd be happy to. That's great. Give them mm-hmm. to you. But that's me and my dad, and you know, <clears throat> kind of tells our story. Of, hey, well, why wouldn't you, you put know? that on uh, Amazon? Well, I don't know. It, it, Labor we'll of love. Maybe get to it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're happy. And, to I, just and I think for us, what resource. we went through just identifying <clears throat> all of these different little things, and 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 everything that could potentially help you pay for long term care, is a whole exploration. And so the idea of this is just to make sure people realize all of the things that are possible. One thing that was a real surprise to me is there are people who qualify for mesothelioma payouts. I see those commercials all the time. Yeah. Yeah, That have, have no idea, have never heard of it. Don't even know it exists. And and a lot of the, the damage happened, you know, 10 to 20 years ago and it shows up and manifests. Yeah. It's a time bomb. Yeah. And and there are things where, you know, someone may have been just doing laundry for someone who worked around asbestos, but mm-hmm. then they were getting exposed while they were doing the laundry. And so um, there's there's a lot of potential sources for funds and and there's people who can help a lot of resources that people just don't mm-hmm. know. So a lot of it from our heart standpoint was just trying to help other people get through what for us was a very long and painful learning experience as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. I love the way that you guys give back. I mean, is this is this one of your your big uh, whys and as far as your giving? It, I mean, it really is, and I feel like you know if we can help, kind of ease the ease the burden for other people, you mm-hmm. know, that are going through it's, this. It's really impactful for you guys, yeah. Obviously. And mm-hmm. you know, looking at my dad, my dad died about a month ago, and I mean, his care near the end of his life was like fifteen thousand a month. Good Lord. You know, I mean, and and then there are calculators that show like when we put in our age and say, and, you know, Eric and I don't have children. So Mm. we think about this, you know, quite a bit like we, you know, we love our nieces and nephews, but we don't live close to them and we don't want to be a burden on others. And yet um, we learned about this really cool, it's called a residential living, um, residential assisted living. So these are smaller, you know, 10 to 20 um, resident homes. Mm -hmm. So it's not a big a big place, which, you know, as I experienced with my dad, it's like during COVID, we couldn't see him for a year. I mean, the damage, he got COVID twice, you know, and came through it just fine, you know, 94 years old and essentially, but it was the isolation. And so in some of these smaller residential living home communities, for example, um, well, not only, you know, can they just have more interaction and, and just it's a more personal care. I mean, they have to follow guidelines too, but there's so many options for senior living and senior care and paying and paying for that is the issue I, with most people. I saw that a lot. I mean, my grandmother, like I said, she's 86, but I felt like she looked and, and act like she was 70. Mm-hmm. But during COVID, she was so stressed mm-hmm. out. Uh, and she, you know, lived in a house, but she was so stressed out about going out and not going to church and yeah. everything wasn't, she just wasn't involved. I've seen, you know, now she's actually aged to her age mm-hmm. just, and I feel like it just happened in two years, yeah. which was super scary to watch. So I, I appreciate what you guys are doing. I think this is a good thing. And, you know, that kind of leads in my next question too, is, you know, and I think that this kind of plays off it. What is your guys' long play? Like what's your, you know, where you get, what are you guys building for and what's the end game? So I think there's 
there's a couple of end goals. I think one, which Anna kind of already mentioned, is when we reach the point where we're no longer very functional, um, we want to be able to afford to have care, to whether we're staying at home, which we hope we are, and have caregivers in home, or staying in a community or something like that. We want to make sure that we've got the financial resources and wherewithal to be able to survive. We don't have kids, but we do have nieces and nephews, so leaving some legacy for them is important. But I think there's a lot of projects that throughout our life we've sort of accumulated, but we've never had the resources or the time to do. And so one of our goals is to get the business to the point where it takes a lot less of our time, and then we can put our energy and time into doing some of those those more ministry-oriented projects. I, I love that, and it's an awesome reason to kind of like carry the torch, right? Why don't we talk about um, – let's – do kind of a post-mortem on the last three years. Is that three years? Is that how long you guys been uh, in the real estate game? So what's your portfolio look like today? And if we peek ahead a little bit for, for you guys, what does it look like say 10 years from now? Um, so currently our portfolio includes several single family home, um, long-term rentals. We have some small multifamilies, um, two five plexes and a three plex. And then, um, Excitingly, we are having our first short-term rental that's going to be going live here in the next week or two um, here in Omaha. The short-term, are you guys self-managing that or are you using a service? Or so what? thankfully, we got connected through the RIA group with Dan Zimmerman of City Lane Properties, yep. and we went and visited with him about it. And um, he said, oh, you've got to talk to Kat Theo because she does our design. And that's something that we weren't, you know, our, that's not our strength. And so we love We've had to- them both on the podcast, by the way. So we can link yeah. them in the show notes. Oh, good. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard cats, but not Dan's yet. Yeah. So anyway, so Dan, Dan actually, just so you guys know, yeah. Dan Zimmerman's one of our top three. Uh, most listened to podcast. Oh, I'm for wow. sure going to have to listen to him. He has yeah. a lot of friends. <laughs> That's great. He does. He's a great guy. And Kat was wonderful to work with. So basically, um, yeah, they they helped us with that. And um, Stephen Ward, who Owen introduced us to a long time ago, has helped with a lot of the remodel work. And um, anyway, just a great team. Stephen Ward does yeah. remodel work? Yeah, he does project management over remodels. Yeah. I yeah. had no idea. Yeah. yeah. Super great guy. So anyway, it's been a really nice team and it's come together. It's a fairly good size home on Grant Street and um, thinking about having a little open house or something next week and inviting people to come by and see it. You can, but publicize, anyway. you can definitely publicize that on our page. Just oh, so that'd know. be awesome. So. so anyway, so we've got lots of things going on. But I think in the long in the long run, our goal is to our, – our goal is 100, you know, doors. Um, by? By, I would say, in the next five years, mm-hmm. if we can, you know. So when you to, why, why is 100. Well, we kind of we did the math. Is it doors or is it, so or is it income? It's, it's, it's passive it's, income. It's is really the goal. passive income. We we kind of shift. We're trying to shift, although it's hard in my mind because because the reason I ask that when you say a hundred, that's just a it's really a really number. vague number that everybody <clears throat> seems to use. I know, I but, know. But but what is there behind it? Like you know, is it passive income because you're like, hey, I'm gonna make three hundred dollars per door uh, per month, or how much are you guys figuring per door per month right now? What does it represent? Yeah, yeah. what is the that's real a question? Good question. Like? That's why it owns here. <laughs> so, so the easiest way to look at it is, um, that would replace my income from when I was working before. Okay. And a hundred doors does while we're still paying loans on them. Okay. So, yeah. so how, like $200 how, what's your cash flow per unit? Our goal is at least $200 per door. It's pretty low, isn't it? It is. It is. Well, so that's 20 grand. we're still paying on the debt though. So, yeah. t- so 20 grand a month. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
Okay. And so we can, and so our goal ultimately is to be able to give generously and do these other service projects we want to do. Um, you know, and we think we can do that with that amount of income. Can I ask, can I ask what service projects you're doing? Well, one idea we have is, um, so it's a long story, but in a nutshell, um, we have a heart for adoptive kids mm-hmm. and we, we weren't able to have kids, but we thought, oh, well, maybe we can adopt some children. And so we set about getting involved with this program in Bozeman called Summer of Hope. And so we hosted three siblings from the Philippines um, and, uh, you know, went down to Manila and brought them home to Bozeman and were set about adopting them. And with the Philippines, you don't finalize until six months after they've been in the U.S. And at about four months, I just I, – I was overwhelmed with the responsibility and their needs and Eric was working and I was trying to, you know, do this. And, um, and I just, it was clear I wasn't able to. And so they got readopted by this other wonderful family. Um, but it really made us have a heart for three kids is a lot. Three kids. Yeah, I was just gonna say, like anybody that gets triplets dropped on them, that can so, walk and yeah. talk. I'm like, no, six, thank you. Six, six, nine, and ten years old. Maybe this would be a little bit easier if you had a, like one child yeah, that was yeah, maybe, like, like under two or under three. Well, that's what everyone said. There's a, a reason easier. why God gives you one child at a time. Yeah, right? I, I, so. well, I was thinking. I'm like, were you? Were they like? Do you want fries with that? And you're like, yeah, uh, why not? Let's just add two more kids on. Well, that. Like, who, well, we thought who does that. Well, like, we thought. That, you know, we didn't. It I mean, a big part of it's not country, breaking up con- the sibling set. And maybe you know, picking up a country together. where they speak English also might well, help too. They did speak Tagalog, which was another challenge. Trinidad, something yeah, like that. Yeah. I don't know. But they were great kids, and they're doing amazingly well. And they got adopted by this other wonderful family. But what what we learned is that brain development in like zero to three year olds is huge. Yeah. And with orphanages, they're not rocked and read to and that eye contact isn't there. And so that that connection, that attachment, you know, isn't happening. Are you guys still and open so, to this adoption idea? So so we're 57 now, so no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Hard pass. Thank but, you for offering. Yeah. You're a beautiful child. I mean, but, 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 yeah, we'll take but your you're, kids. But you're, <laughs> They're I mean, the I'm best like, little kids. Like Owen, he's, he's an old 47. You guys are a young 57. I mean, you know. That's fair. You don't, oh, you, don't, you don't look it. I mean, no, in, in, well, in the high spirit and the fact that you, I mean, honestly, I, I can just see right now you guys kind. would be amazing you're very kind. But so our so our service idea is t- what we call the rocking chair project. And so our thought is what if we were to basically work with local orphanages, have local workers build rocking chairs, put them in these orphanages, pay caretakers to rock, to read, to connect, and so that the child learns bonding mm-hmm. before they're adopted by other families, whether that's in their own country or in another country. And so that's so we cool. just thought I love that. I don't yeah. know if we can help other adoptive families succeed where we mm-hmm. couldn't, you know, that would be a blessing. So that would be and we amazing. saw a lot of other adoptive families really struggle with the kids not connecting, not attaching. Yes. And, um, you know, we met with psychologists and learned more about this. And we really felt that if we could just, you know, get them, you know, 30 minutes a day in these orphanages, which, just with one on one attention and in the Philippines. You know, we're talking dollars a day. I yes. mean, it's not, it's, it's I mean, not, the rocking chair is going to cost more than six months of rocking. Right. And so 
there's just this huge opportunity to help these kids. And, and the orphanages in many ways are doing a great job, but their focus is, you know, nutrition and vitamins. Keep them alive. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and yet they just, they don't have the time and the staff or the to resources. just give them that, the kids, the emotional connection. Mm-hmm. So do you feel sometimes that God's vision for you guys maybe wasn't the children, but knew that you guys had the big hearts and, mm-hmm. and knew that you guys could be successful and that you could take this on and actually change many more lives than just, just the two or three that you would take on. What, yeah. what's amazing is we received so much reinforcement. For example, we had From made the a, Lord, we had made an offer on the house, um, the, a larger the, house, a larger home that we wanted to move into. And the people basically laughed at our offer and said, please never call <laughs> us again and don't make another offer. And so we just gave them what we could, but that was what we could. We figured, okay. So the day after we decided to bring these kids to America, that couple called back and said, would you still be willing to take that amount for the house? And this was four months later, just the day after we agreed to take these little kids. And so there was just, there was so much reinforcement from the Lord that we were on the right path. So we're like, okay, this is clearly what we're supposed Mm -hmm. to do. What we didn't realize is what we were supposed to do was not adopt the kids. It was to bring the kids to America to be adopted into this amazing family mm-hmm. that did a spectacularly better job for them than we ever would have. Mm. But it also opened us up to the adoption community and a lot of the challenges that adoptive children face. And so, yeah, so I, we really do believe that this is, this is in our path. The, the challenge we have is to build the funding and the resources um, because, you know, I always tend to think big and Anna tends to think focus, but you know, my thought is, you know, we should have rocking chairs and rockers in every orphanage in the world. Like that should be the goal. And And I'm like, let's just start with the Philippines (laughs) (laughs) or or even start with one orphanage and build out from there. And obviously we have to start somewhere, but I think that, you know, in a lot of ways that really is, I think where we see a lot of our, our life's work. I'm getting emotional with this. So, well, I'm getting uh, – here comes my sarcastic side. When that seller called you back uh, and they were like, so you still want to buy that? And you're like, well, as a matter of fact, you remember when you laughed at me uh, when we made that offer? Sharpen your pencil and hang up on them slowly like so they can think about it. Yeah. It, no, was, it, no, was, it was what, miraculous. What a, what a moment killer, man. I got to bring levity. Oh, my gosh. Well, and the great thing is it was still a great offer because after the 2008 crash, we were still we, – we actually were still above water. Yeah, it was. So this so was in 2007, and it was it was yeah. a good offer. Yep. So is this something that you're planning to create into a, a nonprofit? Is that I don't know if I missed that part of of what it is you were describing. Is it something that you're planning to create into a nonprofit, or do you all just want to solely fund it from your business? So mm. we've we've kind of talked about different approaches. One would be a nonprofit. One would be to work with an existing ministry agency or Catholic charities or someone that has a lot of adoption focus already, and do it through them. Um, and the other, if you know, if our funding works, you know, I, I think our thought would be we'd start on our own to get it going, and then once we have some proof of concept and documentation of the effect and things like that, then we'd be able to. To, to take it broader. Exactly. Because that's exactly like how I was thinking. Like I pictured this whole thing happening with, with you guys. 
So, yes, I have to get a microphone. I'm taking your microphone, Ted. Okay. <laughs> no, it's just fun. This, this is funny because Dennis is our podcast producer and editor, and like he's he's talking while the microphone is eight feet away from him, like like a rookie. You think? Come you on, know man. Better. You're better than that. <laughs> but but no, but seriously, like how I see this happening is you you guys having your own foundation and you getting this massive support from everyone because of the idea, like. This is this is a foundation. Yes, they are, and and I'm not I'm not dogging against like the cancer foundations and everything. But I've never heard of a foundation that is dedicated to rocking babies mm-hmm. and the importance of um, brain development from zero to to three. So I think you all will get a lot of support. And if you all do f- form a foundation tomorrow, I would put money in it. And I don't have money, so that says a lot. <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank you, Dennis. Well, I think. One thought is that you would really want it to carry on after you're gone. I mean, in in our case. And so that would be why you would set it up as a nonprofit. And I think with my grant writing experience and, you know, just our other adoptive community, I mean, some of our best friends now are adoptive parents from Bozeman and, you know, the area because it, it just bonds you together in a way because, you know, you want the best for these kids. And so... You know, and you want your marriages to stay together. You want your mental health to be okay. And, um, and I think, you know, just trying to rally around and support each other when you're going through this, um, is just a huge deal. But having that, having the nonprofit carry on after you're gone too, I think is another way to give back and just to keep it, keep it going. I got a challenge for you guys before we get into our OT here. Set up a GoFundMe page, put the concept out there today. Or in the next week, send Denless the link. He'll put it. He'll put it in the show notes. That way, you can get get your fun, get your charity started. Just put it out there and just see what happens, and just let that be step one. You can set GoFundMe up in minutes. We'll we'll link it in the show notes. I challenge you. Can you do that? It's so funny because I think, oh, we need to write a business plan and we need to do all the foundation work. But you can, you're right. But we, just, we've been not doing it. For probably 10 years because so, we're like, we got to get everything in order. Let's just set the link up. We'll put it in show notes and then we'll link in our social media accounts also. Well, that's very kind of you so, to get us started that but way. But you have to have it done within two weeks from this airing. So I, It's funny. I wonder how many uh, like businesses have been started out of pressure. pressure. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're just com- get completely sandbagged by somebody challenging you in public like, to go out and start a business. So like, basically the song for that ad can be under pressure. Yeah. And, uh, but no, Eric, you know, Eric's, Eric's, Eric's wonderful. And he's kind of the tech brains behind a accept, lot of what do we do. Do you accept our challenge? So it's up to you, Eric. I, I accept it. I would love to get will started. You, will okay, you, then will you commit it. to a donation? Sure. Of course. I'll commit yeah. to a donation. Wow, so that'd yeah. be awesome. We so, would, that would be a huge blessing. Don't you think, babe? Absolutely. All right. Get that created. We'll link to it in the show notes. Then let's yes. make it happen. So what do you think about the name, The Rocking Chair Project? Just I love something it. Something simple. It. It's great. Yeah. yeah. Done. Yeah. Boom. It's like these little children forgave us and stayed in relationship with us, and we would send occasional birthday gifts or whatever. So, you're and like, so the, you are the step parents. So, so the youngest daughter, you know, she invited us to her wedding, which we didn't expect, you know. And the the parents are gracious and they're lovely people, and so we went up in Bozeman in June and and just saw them after many many years. And um, anyway, wow, it just comes full circle, you yeah. know. And it was just amazing. So I love, I love that. Anyway. 
Yeah. Well, I, I, I appreciate your guys' story. We're going to link this in the show notes because I know you guys are going to do this project that you've had on your you, – you just laid it all out. I mean, there's no reason why you're not doing it, right? <laughs> so um, and everything that you guys talked about is just um, – it's been really it's been a really heartfelt podcast, I think. So um, I appreciate you guys going over this. But we're about out of time now. We're almost out of time. Let's get into the OT with Owen and Ted. All right, Anna, Eric – We've got questions that we ask every guest that comes on. The first one is going to be a complete softball for you since you already have one. But what will your first book that you publish be titled? Paying for long-term care. Now, here's the second question, follow-up. What's your next book going to be titled? Because you're not done, right? I mean, what was the process of writing that book? Was it painful or not bad? So it wasn't bad, but I think our second book, my vote, is Understanding Senior Care. And we're actually looking at starting a podcast where we interview people, experts in the senior care industry, and and then basically turning those podcast interviews into the second book. Kind of a deep dive on subjects related to paying for sen- senior well, care. Just so care. you know, if you need a podcast studio ah. or a podcast producer, We've got it. <laughs> we, we can refer you. Awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Well, the next question here is, what do you want to be when you grew up? And this is each one of you have to answer that. So when you're little, what do you want to be when you grew up? When I was little, I wanted to be a museum director. A museum director. <laughs> I've never heard that one. Yeah. <laughs> Ever in my life. I loved art and history and I thought, oh, it would be great to work in a museum. And, and, I, I could see being you know, like if it was a dinosaur place. That'd be fun. That would it? be fun. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What about you, So what I wanted to be was a trust fund baby. <laughs> but my dad explained to me that that was not an option. And so, so you decided to marry to a really work. rich woman that, was a, that would be a doctor or something. That was there. another disappointment as well. <laughs> <laughs> a little history major over here. She's not making the bucks. So. Yeah. I was very practical. I didn't actually have like a specific idea. My dad had a fire engine and we did ride in parades with it. So kind of thought about being a fireman, but my my cousin was a fireman and he was a way better fireman than I could ever imagine. As any young boy wants to be a fireman, a police officer, an FBI agent in yeah. the army, right? Mm-hmm. So yep. I totally get it. At your funeral, when somebody is given your eulogy, what do you hope they say about you? Both of you. Ooh, hmm. Deep. I hope they say she loved the Lord and was faithful and that she served others well. I love it. Yeah, I think for me... Top that. <laughs> well, <laughs> I love to help people. That's kind of my DNA. And so, you know, serving others well, I think ultimately is for me, that that's the goal. Owen, what's your answer to that question? Whoa! <laughs> what do I want to be remembered as when I die? What, what's somebody that's giving my eulogy going to say? Yeah. Is that the question? So I have a, a buddy of mine that I play in a golf league with. And the joke that we have is like, he calls me, he says, I look like a catcher's mitt. <laughs> like I'm way older than I actually, am, or I look way older than I actually am. So the joke is he's going to give my eulogy because he's a complete smart ass, like way more than <laughs> I even am. And he's not on uh, Facebook or Instagram or any of that. But um, what I would like to be remembered as when I was actually thinking about this today Um I hope people remember me as someone that is almost completely selfless with what they know and are able to share with the world. And I hope that people remember me for being really generous, uh, someone that cares about his family and his friends. That's what I want to be remembered as. 
Nice. Um, what about you? Now that we're going all the way around here. Uh, well, on the spot. Teddy Lasso. <laughs> it's a lot easier Lasso. to ask than it is to it answer, is. right? Um, I guess I, I want to be remembered in the end uh, for impacting people's lives. So I would love to be able to um, see people come up and, and talk about stories on how I changed their lives. And and I'd love to be able to um, kind of like uh, you know, one thing I, I really appreciate in John Hoich's story. Uh, John talked about how he started the West Side Foundation and he and he talked about how he's able to put money in that so he could give money uh, to people um, that went through his hard times for for mm-hmm. forever, pretty much, and I and that really impacted me because I because I really felt like I I would love to be able to do something that could carry on forever. So um, if it's if it I need to find I need I you know I'm still in that process of of still trying to find what that thing is, but I'd love to get to a point where I can create something that goes on forever and and create a legacy. The nice. legacy. I love nice. it. Denless, we're not letting you off the hook over there. What do you got? Bring in the mic. Yeah, here we go. No, get up here. You got it. You got to give this. All right, Denless. So your eulogy, I'm up there talking. What am I going to say about you? Uh, you, you. Okay. Yeah, of course it's going to be me. <laughs> this so, is art, art imitating you, life you or life entertaining art. Even show up. Yeah. yeah. But, no, yeah, I'll be there. Right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's good. That's good. I'm, I'm the one talking to eulogy. Sorry, tomorrow. <laughs> like, this is happening. Um, so it, I've never really put thought into it, but if, if it is, I have had to think of one thing. It, it would be for my, um, for my family, my personal family, like my, my, not siblings, but my, um, next generation. So like my nieces, nephews, um, and, and my children to, to remember the, the, I guess the bravery of me leaving my home country to come up here to start over at this age and like, to try, yeah, and 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 like to to use that as motivation to get through hard times and to be able to overcome adversity and you know that kind improve, of stuff. improve their lives. Yeah, uh, yeah. So like, if if they are, if and I really hope that they are not, but if they end up in some sort of a shitty situation, that they could look at it and be like, hey, if my uncle or my father could have gotten out of it, then I could do it now. I think that's that's really what it is and like my story to be more of a motivational story for other people so that you know you, you could always start over you don't have to to live in your mess or whatever life you are in it doesn't matter how old you are you could start over when, whenever you want to so like that's my legacy the round robin uh eulogy speech i love it we went all the way around thanks for sharing all right so i think wow that's some deep thoughts to end on here um okay if we when we call you next to come back on the episode what what is your portfolio going to look like or what is your business going to look like for anna and eric so when are you calling uh let's say five years from now five years from now um I'd say we would very much like to have invested in a larger multifamily complex, at least maybe, well, one or two at least. Um, and if the short-term rental uh, project goes well, to have another few uh, short-term rental homes that are nice for other people to enjoy. Um, and uh, to be, you know, really giving sacrificially from our, you know, profits to um, different service projects that we love. So anyway, just growing the portfolio, maybe 
<laughs> getting closer to our um, goal of uh, more passive income so that we can do more things. Now, you guys have probably thought about this. Sorry to interrupt. I, I just wanted to add this before I forget because I have a memory of a goldfish. But um, what about investing in like senior care facilities? What like instead of multifamily mm-hmm. or kind of the standard, you know, single or or you know, single family or short term rental to multifamily, and then you kind of go that go down that route. Why That's not? A great question. So yeah, we've thought about so it. So there's a actually a conference, Residential Assisted Living Living National Conference, and their whole focus is building smaller residential homes. And um, one of the things that's really interesting about that is there are a lot of people who are skilled caregivers and social workers, but they don't they don't have the money and the resources to set up a building or to yeah but, buy the real estate. We know a whole bunch of people through the RIA who they can buy and operate buildings and they're looking for long-term income. And so actually leasing um, buildings that people can run these rals in is it's a great investment opportunity. Um, it has to be a house that works for, you know, having multiple residents, eight to 20 people in, but um, that is, that is actually a great opportunity. And I, I think you're going to see, a shift because employees are not going to want to work at these big box places as much anymore. And I think um, residents, a lot of residents, those that survived are realizing that living in a big box is not what it was cut out to be. I mean, it's fun that you've got swimming pools and fancy dining rooms and stuff, but if you're locked in your room and, and, and most residential living facilities, they're still having um, lockdowns (coughs) for COVID. I mean, if, if there's a COVID outbreak, Everyone's in their room and you get your meals in your room and you don't get to talk to anyone for two weeks. And that's been happening, happening repeatedly over and over and over. And, and as we talked about before, the, the mental degradation that people suffer with that isolation, um, for most people, I mean, the people, I don't want this to sound too harsh, but the people who are going to pass away from COVID at this point probably have. And the people who've had COVID three times, they're suffering far more from the isolation than they were, would have would now at least from COVID. And so um, there's a huge investment opportunity for those. So that is something it's that we've talked on our about. Radar. And and we've also talked about um, storage units are a great opportunity. Um, we've seen people turning abandoned hotels into short-term rentals and into uh, storage facilities. Um, so th- there's a lot of other business ideas that have a lot less risk from rent control than, than traditional renting. How can our listeners support you? And what's the best way to reach out to you if, uh, for that support? Well, I think we are always appreciative of um, knowing, you know, more uh, good contractors and um, working with them. And um, I think we'd be interested in potentially partnering with people on some of these, um, either the residential assisted living projects or um, another, you know, larger multifamily property. Um, and, you know, we're thinking about, you know, not only Omaha, but other good markets. Um, we were thinking about, you know, Rapid City, South Dakota recently and a few other areas up in Montana or Wyoming. And so anyway, we're just open to different partnering opportunities. Um, and do you have anything to add to that, Eric? Or? I was just going to say com is the way to reach us. Yep. That's great. Do you guys have partnerships right now? Not currently. Not currently. So this would be a new thing, new venture for yeah, you guys. It would yeah, be. we we don't have any objection to it, but for whatever reason, we just we haven't actually done a partnership yet. So that's our our goal has been to try and do everything at least once, and we've gotten through a lot of things, but we haven't Not done that. that yet. Well, guys, what 
shout outs, if any, would you like to give out for people that have been influential in your in your life, whether it be for real estate investing, just life changes in general that were positive? Uh, anything you want to throw out there to people that are noteworthy? Well, I know you guys probably hear this all the time, but the two of you were huge um, in our Aww. beginning, you know, of getting Shots. involved and being encouraged. Um, so total shout out to the Omaha Ria and to Colin and we're blushing. Oh yeah. <laughs> anyway, so really appreciate that. And to new investors too. I just can't say enough, you know, positive things about being involved with you guys and what you do. Um, obviously, you know, the team that we work with bankers, um, frontier bank, Cole and Liz Suba, um, Cole Grudelution and Liz Suba have been wonderful at frontier bank in terms of supporting our projects. Uh, Jason, um, at Exchange Bank, who spoke at the Rio. Jason Gray. Jason Gray. Yeah, he's and my he's, commercial properties. Yep, great guy. And uh, Marty McGuire for insurance. Yeah, my and, insurance guy, too. Yep. So we've gotten a lot of our good contacts through the Rio. Nice. So anyway, just couldn't do it without him. So I don't know. Well, and I think that's a good point because there were a lot of things. We came – we had ne- we literally came to Omaha once for a day. We met Josh and we met Owen, and then we moved here. And we knew nobody. So and so, the, it's amazing what networking does. Yeah. It? So is. the contacts that we made through the RIA, I mean that that gave us contractors. It gave us insurance. It gave us banking. It, I mean, our entire network that we've built mm-hmm. really came through the people we met at the RIA, and yeah. and then a lot of the learnings that we got in terms of everything from you know doing the book after the rehabs to you know, how to deal with contractors. We've learned so much through the RIA and that, I mean, that allowed us to get from step one to actually having a business that's functional. Well, I, I feel like now we can use this as future ammunition in case we uh, end up falling on our face in real estate investing. We can work for the Omaha Chamber of Commerce. Talking to you, Rep. Dan, just that my dad like encouraged me my entire life to to do real estate investing like his friend. And then when we actually told him that we were going to do it. He's like, Oh no, you shouldn't do that. It's way too risky. It's way too scary. And I'm like, but you've been telling me my entire life since I was 10 years old to do it. And, but just the, the importance of, I think a lot of people get a lot of pushback from people who love them and care about them. And this just seems like scary magic dust and, and just having that perseverance to push through in, in spite of the, the fear the and in spite of the naysayers that are around you, I think is important. I want to, I want to, Okay, I want to corral what you just said and and also add on to that by saying, have you ever met a another community that has been so positive and and embracing as the Omaha real estate investing community? Because I never have. I no. mean, granted, I'm not into like Pokemon Go or anything like that, or maybe they have a really awesome uh, meetup. I don't know. Tell me about it. Give me a shout out. Odog2424 Instagram. Um, <laughs> but like... Everybody is generally pretty inspiring and and uh, encouraging. I mean, and there's really exceptions. Supportive. Yeah, I I don't yeah, know. It's it's, it's very cool to see. I will say yeah. that while I don't think they quite compare to Omaha, what we have seen in other communities has been surprisingly positive. Even like the San Diego, it, Rhea yeah, even group, in San Diego, they there were, were very... there were a couple of groups, and they were they were supportive. They wanted people to succeed. Um, I was I I've been amazed just real estate investing as an industry. And and part of that's because I've known a lot of realtors and they can be a little bit sharkish. And so I was really nervous about, you know, are people in this mm-hmm. space going to be hyper competitive and scary? And I've been amazed that when you transition from the realtor to the investing side, the people are amazing. And it, it, it blows my mind how supportive they've been. Well, cool, even, man. Even the realtors we've met have been 
surprisingly wonderful and nice. And so it's just, and they're bringing us deals too. So it's a, it's a good relationship, Yeah, I think. But I brought my nephew and his fiance to one of the RIA meetings and because we were, we're hoping to kind of inspire them to kind of think about this now they're in their twenties mm-hmm. and start when they're young and, and start they can change young. their life. And they're like, so everyone was really nice. Is that normal? <laughs> we're like, yep. this feels like a trap. And, and right. she's it's, like, it's normal. Aren't, aren't these people all competitors? And we're like, yep. But you know, the pie is big and people are generous. So they were, they were very impressed. No, really appreciate that. Thank you it's so true. much for, uh, for mentioning that. But uh, I, I think, you guys kind of attract that type of treatment, I would say, because not everybody has the selflessness and, you know, caregiving mentality that you guys put out there to the world. And obviously with the effort that you put into bringing awareness to senior care and, and those kind of things have, uh, have just been, I mean, this has been awesome to hear. I've heard, learned so much new about you guys today and everything just keeps getting better every time we, uh, every time we chat. So thanks. Thanks again Likewise. for coming in. Thank you. Thank you. Well, guys, I appreciate you guys coming down so much. I mean, we knew this was going to be good content. I love your why and everything that you're doing. I love that you're how you decide to give back to the community. Um, everybody that does engage with you has nothing but raving reviews about working with you. So that 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 means a lot. It, it, in this small community that we work in here right now, I mean, it's all about reputation, right? And you guys have an outstanding reputation. We've been trying to get you on here for probably about nine months now. And uh, so we're glad that we finally got you in here. But thank you so much. And I think people are going to be inspired by your story. And I'm excited to see that you guys launched this charity idea that you've had for a long time. <laughs> no years. pressure. Mm-hmm. But if you're listening to the first time or the 57th time, we appreciate you guys. Um, please give us a five-star review on whatever format you're listening to. And if you're listening to us on Apple, please give us a written review. And we will put that into our show. Uh, you know, Denless loves to hear the, uh, all the raving reviews about him and Owen and everybody else. So thank you so much. And with that, Owen Dashner, we see us out. On behalf of Rio Radio, Denless Bertrand and Ted Kosh, I'm Owen Dashner. You've been listening to Anna Graham Lindine and Eric Lindine, the Positivity Power Couple, signing off. Positivity Power Couple. Oh. You guys are awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Fun fact. I usually don't make up the, uh, the ex- like, so I do this every episode. I come up with a nickname at the end. <laughs> and uh, I don't have any idea what it's going to be until generally about five <laughs> minutes before I'm done. And you got to.